Oi, you lot. You listen to Garage Hammer. Episode 173. On tonight's episode, the late modlings have finally decided to pick up the Beast Claw Raiders book. Because, you know, the giant ogre book that people are all playing... It's not like anybody's seen it or anybody's played it. There's like one list, whatever. But now they've decided, hey, let's cover this book. Maybe somebody hasn't heard what a bunch of kids are. Just shut it. I'm listening to me show. Welcome to the garage, you tools. For the next three hours or thereabouts, we will do our best to keep you informed, entertained, and perhaps have a laugh or two along the way. Bringing you the writers of the Everwinter, lethal snowballs, and plenty of angry bumbles. I'm Alex Gonzalez. And I'm Rick Deckard. Nope. Nope! Rick Deckard? No. Blade Runner? It's been a very long time since I've seen that movie. Oh, that's true. But the preview, I don't I was, just, I was just watching the previews. Like do. I'm trying. I'll try to make them a little easier. I thought that one would be a little... I no, that I don't be retain character names that well. How about if, if I would have gone with Frank Castle, would you have gotten that one? With what? Frank Castle. That's Punisher. Very good. That's what I was going to go with because I just watched Punisher Warzone. I yeah. Go with Frank Castle. Hey, I'm, hey, there you go. You're one for two today. That's fi- Hey, one out of two ain't bad. 50% is still failing, Dave. Not well. Yes, it is. I was going to say. I was going to. Hey, you're a teacher. You know, fifty percent is failing. But you know what? Hey, you got one, and and a win is a win. Sure. There you go. (laughs) So, uh, all right. Um, I'm excited about this one today. But before we do that, lady, let's let's uh, let's let's do the sponsor thing. Yeah, I suppose we should. All right. So as always, we need to take a moment to thank the sponsors of Garage Hammer, uh, which are Unique Gifts and Games. In Grays Lake, Illinois. Chaos Orc Superstore. Chaos Orc Superstore. Chaos Orc Superstore. Oh, boy. Um, and Six Squared Studios. Lindsay, enough with the Chaos Orc Superstore. We're on to the next thing. Sorry, what'd you say? Six Squared Studios. For all of your MDF needs. Uh, oh, and, um, okay, so, hey, listen, um, I wanted to thank our Patreons as well, and then I want to add a little message. So um, I want to thank our our associate producer on the show, Patreon, Shirley Tempel. Thank you for being an associate producer. And thank you to our newest patron, Derek Zimmerman, who just joined. Um and for those of you now, um, we have the different levels of, of joining Patreon. And if, if you don't know what Patreon is, uh, if you like the show and you want to help out the show, you basically it's like every time we put out an episode, you throw you throw some money in the tip jar. It could be anything. It could be fifty cents. It could be a dollar. It could be twenty dollars. It could be fifty dollars. You could be crazy. You know, whatever you whatever you think it's worth. Um, and uh, now, if you pledge at the five dollar uh, show episode, um, there's little bon- there's bonuses at everything. But one of them is the you get some stuff from Six Squared Studios. And uh, I just literally spoke to them today. And so, patrons who haven't yet received their um, 
their Six Square Studio stuff. I talked to them today, so that should be going out soon. Um, if you uh, now, some people are like, "Ah, oh, dude, I'm halfway across the world. Don't spend all that money sending it to me. It's going to cost you twenty bucks to ship it. Don't bother." If you're a don't bother person, that's cool. If you are a hey, I want my Six Square Studios gate, uh, you know, rangefinder gauge and all that stuff. If you want it and you haven't gotten it yet, send me a message so I make sure you're on the list that you didn't get skipped. Uh, because we we're just talking to them today, um, they got some cool stuff. In fact, uh, they're gonna be. I'm gonna be. They're. They're. I'm gonna meet them. I'm gonna meet up with them at Gen Con in a few weeks. Oh, very cool. Yeah, and um, they're gonna bring some uh, some cool new things to uh, to show me. Um, and then I'll probably throw it up uh, when we get back. I'll like do a little YouTube video and show it. I know they're doing like movement trays, like you know the you know the staggered round base movement trays. And yeah. uh, and the paint trays where you can either do a, up against the wall or set set up on a like on a on a ta- on your desk, right? And so there's all that cool stuff. Um, they've got little stuff to go along like with terrain accessories, like wheat stacks and and barrels, and they've got uh, terrain things like you know like little walls and fences and stuff for sandbags. So they got like 40k esque you know uh, terrain little bits and bobs too. Mm-hmm. Um, just little unique stuff, but I was on the website today. So if you want to check it out, check out it's the number six and then the words squaredstudios.ca because they're in Canada. Mm-hmm. So, uh, six, so they ship international, right? They do. They do ship international. So, in fact, I think they've got offices on both sides of the border. So it's easy for them to ship to us in the U.S. Um, so, but uh, you want to check their stuff out, and it's it's really there's cool stuff. I also shipped out uh, one of the levels you get um, originally, and it says on the thing that we do a little raffle every month for zombies. But um, that was becoming a big pain in in, in my in my keister. So mm-hmm. uh, I just basically everybody at that level who was a patron, I was like, here you go, two zombies. They send out two zombies from the old Zomblar collection. So if you've seen them, and you know you know what they look like, Alex. I do um, know what they look like. Everybody got a half out of the ground one and a fully out of the ground one who 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 is at that level. And then I had my little white Sharpie, and I, I put a little GH in my initials on the bottom, so they're like official Garage Hammer ones. Like, I know it sounds stupid, and it sounds like, you know, really pompous, but like people are like, oh, I could just sign it. So I did. Um, <laughs> then I sent those out. Hopefully everybody got them. Uh, I still, I shipped, all the ones going to the UK, I shipped to... Greg Dan, and he's going to ship them out for me from there. Uh, I'm shipping one out to one of the patrons in Australia, and he's going to ship them to the Australian and New Zealand uh, places. And then we got a few that I think are going to Denmark, and that I still got to ship, and that, that's just expensive. I don't know. There's a couple of just single ones, the single countries, and I'm getting those shipped out soon. So uh, keep an eye on your post, people, because people who are sponsoring are getting that. Plus, at the one level, it's uh, the Black Library books that we've covered. We raffle off, and we've only got like two people in that group. So uh, and, and and one of them's like, yeah, I don't need the books. I'm halfway around the world. So I think <laughs> no, we, got, we got one guy who's going to get a couple of books here. Um, so, but check it out, you know, and. Um, like I said, and I'm, you know, these are just things that I try to, you know, do for the listeners. They're not huge things. They're not super special, and they're not all the time. But uh, if you want, uh, and then there's the people who don't want anything. They literally just go in and they 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 put in something like a per show, and then they put in at no reward level. They're like, no, nope, just don't want rewards. Just just don't want any of that nonsense. Just want to help out. So you can do whatever you want. It really helps the show. Helps us do things, um, and we appreciate it. But I just wanted the patrons to know, hey. 
stuff's coming or you should already have it. So one of the two, pay attention. So, mm-hmm. okay, that's done. Now, uh, voicemail. We have voicemail? We do. And the voicemail number is 1-757-GH-SHOW-6. That's 1-757-GH-SHOW-6. You should call right after the show. I would say call now, but then you'd have to stop the show. And who wants to do that? Um, uh, not me. But, Dave, what if I'm calling internationally? Oh, international callers. For most countries, you can just dial 0 And then 1-757-441-4696. Not everybody has the same letters on their phone or some people have different alphabets so 001-757-441-4696 um we did get well, okay we got two calls but one of them doesn't count oh uh it doesn't count because uh, it was three minutes and that's the limit and whenever i see a three minute call one of two things happened somebody rambled and it's going into multiple messages which is cool as long as it's on topic um but some apparently some people have the phone number programmed into their phone. So we got butt dialed? I got butt dialed. So I was kind of skipping through it like, okay, I'm not hearing anything, not hearing anything. It was like three minutes of staticky talk, you know, background noise. So that one didn't count. But then we got, we did get a, a caller with a question. And so I am going to uh, play that message for you right now. Hello, this is Christian Sylvia calling from Cantwell, Alaska, where I am training Iditarod dogs. I just want to say, guys, thank you so much for keeping the work up. And I did have a question. Um, I have the Azir app, and I was curious if shields were required for certain units, um, so especially the Empire units with spears and, and albeards and such. Uh, so if you could just answer that. Um, I'm looking forward to the next episode, guys. It takes a while to download, about three to four hours to download an episode, but I can't wait to hear it as I'm uh, cleaning up to some dog poo. Got 65 dogs to clean and 17 puppies currently to take care of. And, man, it takes a while. So looking forward to your episode. Take care. Bye. Did he say, wow. it, t- did he say it takes three to four hours to download an episode? It depends on where in the middle of Alaska you are. I was going to say, dang, because, th- okay. I know some people put out a show and it's like 90 minutes and it's like 200 megabytes. And I'm like, dude, like we do a two hour show and it's like 50, 60 megs tops. Like it's because mm-hmm. it, it, the sound quality is not I mean, when you're talking. OK, and hmm. this coming from a guy who I like to say I like to think our sound quality is pretty darn good. And I've, I know our shows are not nearly that kind of uh, I mean, there's one here, two hours and four minutes. I'm just looking on my. Thing and it's 283 megs for a two hour show, mm-hmm. and I'm just like, good gravy. Because literally, I'm looking at here, let's go. And this is just this is podcast chat, man. We're talking this nonsense. Our last show, two hours and 23 minutes, 49 megs. So I'm hoping it doesn't take him like three hours to download. Now, the four hour show that oh, the four hour and 10 minute show was 85 megs. So, yeah, I, I hope it's not taking him two to three hours to download that because I'm just I would kill myself like that's that's. Ugh. But again, if he can see Russia from his house, then he may not have the best connection, et cetera, et cetera. And plus, then they got all those filters because you don't want the Russians hacking in and, and stealing your your Wi-Fi. Absolutely. But um, so back to his question, um, he was asking about the different uh Equipments you can give 
free guild guardsman is what he sounded like. Yeah. Um, now he said something about our shields mandatory. Fields? Yeah. He asked um, if shields man- were mandatory, and then he mentions the couple different weapons. Um. No, with uh, free guild guardsmen, I believe the uh, classification is that some units can carry shields if you choose them to. Um, so that's a choice I believe you have to make, whether or not you want to give them a sword, a shield, or it's whatever weapon, and then you can give them a shield as an optional. Okay. So, I mean, there were some uh, units where, like halberds, in previous editions, you didn't really give them shields because they it was were a cheap. two-handed weapon. Yeah, and it was a two-handed weapon, so you only benefited from the shield in shooting. So, but now it's you get it all the time. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's just you have to say whether or not the model has it, and then obviously have it modeled that way. Um, and the only ones that get any sort of like super benefit from them are swordsmen because they get the parry rule. Oh, so, right, right, right. Yeah, so it's really just a matter of giving them different equipment, and then they all cost the same. It's still 80 points for 10 guys, regardless of the equipment you give or don't give them. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, so like everything else, it's just depending on which which uh, which kit out you decide you like the best, whether through looks or through rules. Correct. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, and I don't even... Th- I've, I'm not super familiar with Azir, but I don't think they give you the option to select the weapon that you give them. It's just free guild guardsmen. Oh, okay. So... All right, well, we've gone on too long because I did the whole Patreon message thing, but I haven't actually just talked straight to the patrons in a while, and I had stuff they needed to know. So we're going to take a break. We're going to come back. We're going to kind of plow through the news and rumors in the toolbox as quickly as possible and get to this Beast Claw review. Yeah, the Beast Claws. Yep, there we go. We'll be back in a minute. Folks, Chaos Orc Superstore, your one-stop shop for all your hobby gaming needs. They've not only got current and classic GW releases, Chess X Dice, and Vallejo Paints, but now they're also carrying Mantic, Infinity, Flames of War, Privateer Press, Soda Pop, Dark Age, and other assorted board and miniature-based games. They usually ship within 24 hours, and the model in the picture is the model they ship to you, because at Chaos Orc Superstore, what you see is what you get. And we are back with the Garage Hammer News Network. I was waiting for more dudes, but that's okay. All right. Um, so, Superstore. Lindsay. That's not Lindsay. That was me. Okay. All right. Um, so big news um, on the 40K end of things, especially um, 10 books in the next five months. That's crazy. Although That's, next week I get my Space Marines book, so I'm happy. Yeah, we do. Um, but they've already talked about four of them. So we're looking at Space Marines, 
Grey Knights, Chaos Space Marines, and Death Guard. I wonder if CSM um, are going to get a good book finally. Well, I don't know. From what I've been playing against in 8th edition already, they're pretty good right now. Um, I don't know if they need a lot of help, but I'm sure it'll be good. I just know everyone who plays C- I, CSM always complains that their book is just not quite that good. And Yeah, their book was not so good up until 8th edition, and I think they really knocked the chaos stuff out of the park between the demons and the different marked troops actually being effective. Oh, nice. Yeah, because like the corn guys, the berserkers, they can pile in and attack twice in a combat phase. Oh, that's, um, that right there is amazing. Yeah, the noise marines get to shoot you when you kill them. Oh! So as they die, they get that extra attack. Sweet. Yeah, they they do a lot of very interesting stuff. Um, so, but no, we've got four announced. There's another six coming out before year's end. So this is going to be crazy. Yeah. I know they had this stuff ready for a while, but still for the, Mm -hmm. I've already heard people complaining. People who have to have every book are like, how am I supposed to keep up with that? That's going to be too much money. Quit picking my pocket. It's like, dude, first of all, you don't have to buy them the week they come out. You don't have to buy them all period. If you want to, buy them when you can. It's not like they're going to run out. Yeah, and realistically what they've been doing, just in general, they put the rules up online. Yep. Or the rules come with the models. You just may not get the points costs, but okay. And realistically, if you're concerned about like the battle traits or chapter tactics or whatever, that's a couple of pages that they're going to be talking about prior to anyway. So, right. I don't know. I don't. I understand what people are saying, but by the same token, I also understand we went through that with AOS, and we're still going through it. It's just the process of how things go. Yup. Speaking of it's AOS, just, yeah. So the General's Handbook uh, One Minute Games Workshop video <laughs> preview went up today. Yeah, as of day of recording. Brilliant. I loved it. Amazing, wonderful 80s homage preview with Rob Symes as the wizard kid dungeon master dude coming out of the castle. I don't know what exactly he was supposed to be, but the the chrome lettering. I think that was, it sounded like Stranger Things, the music. I mean, it was. A little bit, yeah. Yeah, it was very, I mean, just very. 80s look to it like and I scream 1982 to me like I was expecting a nice Yars Revenge commercial and then this you know and then maybe crossbows and catapults if you remember that game like this is all oh wow yeah that's a deep cut right brother so it it was just it was so much fun so like watching it it was just hysterical Mm mm-hmm um, I just, I just, I love what they're doing. It's, you know what? Because they've, they've, I'm, maybe it's just that we share the same sensibilities. I guess as the as the creative team that's putting this stuff together. Mm-hmm. You know, the forty k stuff is always like the, the 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 dirge music and the and the citadels and the black space and then lots of screaming and and guns firing and tough guys. And then it cuts to the Age of Sigmar stuff, and it's like, and it's just like they're they're just. Go, just going for it like hey this is a, hey let's do this do it yeah i think at the end of the day they're just having fun yep which makes for a much better product anyway and i don't know to get people involved that are passionate about the project like rob and 
um, everyone else that's involved in the community. On the I'm only mentioned Rob because he was team. the one in the commercial, but I know oh, the whole know. community team's doing this, you know. But, but uh, I mean, knowing a lot of the community team guys, right. Rob would be the only one that could pull that face off <laughs> realistically. <laughs> That crazy over-the-top face, the yeah. wink, the finger point. It's like, <laughs> oh, wow. That would be – that is Rob to a T. Yeah. But, no, it's – they're doing great work, and it gets people excited. And I think it shows that they're willing to do creative stuff because they, like, pulled Magnus out of a recycle bin right. when they first debuted the model. So they they do goofy stuff, and that's fine. You get people talking about it. You get people hyped about it. Exactly. I mean, the hype is real every time. Oh yeah, oh um, yeah, so. and that's the thing. And now, uh, so it's General's Handbook 2017, mm-hmm. um, and uh, it's slated for August. All they said is August, so you never know. Pre-order could hit this weekend, and it could be August 5th, or it could be 12th, or 19th, or 26th. We don't know. So it, within the next four and a half weeks, we're going to have the Handbook 2017. Um, that's what they're calling it, not two. They're calling it General's Handbook 2017, which I kind of like that. Yeah, and um, it's not EA Sports either, so. Because <laughs> realistically, it sounds like a video game cover, which I was fully expecting Rob to, like, pull the door open and there's an NES sitting there with whatever system, well, but no, it's it, the handbook. It had a very Nintendo commercial it feel did. to it. I mean, that castle, oh, Lord. Yeah, it was bad. Um this is brilliantly bad. Um, <laughs> so, like, we're all hoping it's earlier rather than later. But I'll, I'll you know, I'll take whatever I can get. I'm just, I just want to see it at this point. Um, now, the, I know we have a whole book on uh, Path to Glory, so I'm that I'm assuming isn't isn't going to be in there. I don't know, but I'm assuming that's not going to be in there. So I'm wondering what other goodness they are going to put in there. Um, Skirmish has its own book, so I know they still the, the one thing they said is the book still has all three ways to play. So what mm-hmm. other stuff is going to be in there? I'm very excited to see. Now, what we have been told is that uh, any army that doesn't already have allegiance abilities and and all the you know special items and all the things that we we who play Stormcast or or Sylvaneth or uh, you know, uh, overlords, disciples, or blades, or yeah, the overlords. new stuff. Um, you all, everyone's going to get one now. So, fire slayers will have it. Um, I'm hoping. I'm hoping that you're going to see the other, like the old, like the old Duard, and It would be nice to see them get some stuff. Or yeah, you but know, I think they had said it was just a specific number was getting new ones. Okay. Um, so, because realistically, there's just so many different sub factions. Well, some of those sub-factions are like two. And that's exactly what it is. Um, but I really think we're going to see some of like, the big prominent ones um, but I'm saying, get them. Because like, they're talking in about general like, could get them or, or Empires of Men in general could get them. You know, elves could get them. You know, uh, that would be you – know, I'd like to see just those types of things get them. So maybe some of the guys that we haven't seen in a while will get a little bit of a – just something a little – you know, get a little uh, – Jolt a little little love. Yeah. Yeah. Or the books that have come out, but it did not come with command abilities and allegiances like the Flesh Eaters or Iron Jaws or Seraphon, which they've already said they're doing Seraphon and Fire Slayers. Yep. So one would assume they're probably going to get the rest of them in there. I wonder if they're going to give it for Archeon. Okay. 
I'm sorry you got a book. I'm just making a joke. It only had three units, but whatever. He got a book with three units, man. You know, we make fun of some of those things. Like some of those, it's especially in the elf units where they've got like, oh, look, we're this sub-faction. And it's literally two units. And it's like you can't even build an army with that two units in that sub-faction. It's silly um, because there's not a battle line choice in those two. So I don't understand that. But Arcane only had three, and he got a book. So, I mean, he's Arcane. Yeah. He could probably get a book it's, all on his own. He's Arcane. And he did get a book all on his own. Well, that's true. Couple of, a couple of uh, fluff books and stuff. Or oh, I can yeah. say lore. Sorry. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'm excited about GHB 2017. Um, and with, 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 10, with 10 40K books coming out between now and the end of the year. I mean, I realize if they're saying that there's 10 coming out, that they're already done in, at the printers, you know. But that doesn't leave a ton of weeks for... AOS releases, so I'm not necessarily holding my breath till the end of the year. I'm guessing with all of these factional on these alliance and all these new things that we're going to have a whole bunch. We're going to have so many changes and so much stuff. If there's tw- you said tw- what would you say twenty? No, it's like twelve or so. But if you put it together with like okay, there's twelve different sets of allegiances that are coming out, right? Not including the main ones. Okay, that's. Aside from lore and new models, that's like twelve books getting updated at once. Yep, maybe not new and models know, and stuff like you said, but yeah, new, it's not new models. But but those allegiance abilities and getting a couple of of, of artifacts to pick from can change the whole scope. I mean, look at you know things like Battle Brew, you know, oh, yeah. for demons. I mean, just look at that the rule for for the for the, for the death factions where you know I save everything in the planet on a five up. Because, you know, it's that whole undead thing that I'm still already dead. It's hard to kill me. I mean, those little things not only lore-wise work, but they're a boost, you know? I'm Mm -hmm. interested to see what comes out. That's going to be a huge change. That's going to be a – I mean, that's 12 armies that I'm going to face now that are different. Yeah, they're new. I have to get used to again. Yeah. So – yeah. Um, and then the other thing that they had mentioned in that little teaser trailer was allies. Allies. Did you see that? No. Did I miss that? I must have missed I just asked myself if I missed that. I'm talking to myself. Not yeah. even talking to Lindsay or um, the master engineer. I'm talking so to myself. The word allies was put in that commercial. Um, and now, granted, allies have not been around since before I started playing, allies was like a fifth edition, fourth edition thing where you could take an allied monsters or allied units. Um, Did like, they have some of that stuff at uh, end times stuff, though? Yeah, but that was different like lists you could put together oh, okay. using a collection of models. So but this the ally stuff that they had way back when was you could just like buy giant scorpions or. Frog swarms or whatever. Oh, so, so you're talking like all them monsters? Maybe mm. that's what they had in Allies for fourth and fifth edition. Well, because yeah, because, why would you mention it unless unless the Grand Alliances have gotten somehow some a bit of a a, a, a change? I'm kind of hoping to see more battle line units. 
I'm personally pulling for frog swarms, but you know, whatever. Plague of frogs? What? Why? I I, I want everybody to be able to take a giant again, like you could in, back in seventh edition, where pr- almost every army could take a giant. It was like in every book. I don't know if we'll go that far. I like the frog giants. swarms for the win. And if you do the giants, then you know Joe Flesh could play with it, almost any army because he's got like a thousand giants because he's a weirdo. Yeah, he is. But <laughs> in any event, so. Um, I think that's pretty much the news until uh, handbook drops. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Why don't we jump over to the toolbox and get through that real quick so that we can take a commercial break and go to the Beast Claw Raiders. Yeah, absolutely. All right. What have you been hobbying? Um, I've been assembling uh, Primaris Marines from the starter set. I finally got them all put together. Thank God. Um, I like them. I do too, but you just get tired of putting the other Space Marines. I've been playing uh, with them a little bit though, and I haven't played with the guys that jump out of the uh, out of outer space because I haven't got them like done and on their stands. I've just been using the other ones. Yeah, they're, they're pretty nice. They are, um, but my big thing is they can't take a flamer. So for my salamanders, it, I I don't really see a lot of them right now. But the new ones that are coming out um, are supposed to have like wrist mounted flamers, which sound really cool to me. But yeah, yeah, um, yeah. so. Um, I've decided that I need a new project for Alex because I've been painting Stormcast. Is this the Super Secret Project? No, this is not. Uh, The Super Secret Project I was painting for Havoc um, got kind of derailed. So it's now being moved to Super Secret Project for Adepticon. Really? um, Yeah. I'm still not going to find out what this thing is. Now you've pushed it back another five months? Don't blame me, but... I blame yes. Jeff Davis, but that's okay. There you go. Um, so Alex's new project is going to be Clan Molder, um, which for those that are not familiar with Skaven, great because it's the, we definitely need a Wayne Kemp on some podcast. Well, okay. To be fair, I've always been a fan of the Franken Rats. Yep. But the big thing was in previous editions, you just could not make an army out of them. But now you can because Age of Sigmar is. I don't know. Awesome like that. So, so you're just um, going to take a whole army of those uh, Storm Fiends? Not a whole army. They're going to be a chunk of it, though. Um, so it's anything brutal. with the Clan Molder keyword, which is Packmasters, Giant Rats, Rat Ogres, Storm Fiends, and Hell Pit Abominations. Oh, wow. That sounds... That, and that's that's a Clan Molder. There's no, there's no Clan Rats in that? Wait, did you say Clan no. Rats? No, there's no Clan Rats. So you're just taking Packmasters and those those the giant rats, which are like the little tiny rat models, mm-hmm. and and then big 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 bushy monsters. Yeah, big Franken rats. Um, Beautiful. If you do Clan Molder, the giant rats become battle line. Oh, that's your battle line. <laughs> yeah, why not? <laughs> oh, I'm laughing with you, not at you. That's beautiful. Yeah. So I'm, how much do giant rats cost, by the way, since you would know this now? They're like ten for sixty. <laughs> or no, it's uh yeah, ten po- or ten models for sixty points. So you're playing a two thousand point game, you've got hundred and eighty points worth of giant rats and a couple of pack masters and then just brutes. Maybe. This is gonna be awesome. I am loving this idea. My plan is a unit of forty giant rats. 
two units of ten, twelve rat ogres, and six storm fiends. That works. That's three hundred and sixty points on giant rats, then. So at least it's not really skimping out. Yeah, I mean the the storm fiends are six hundred points. Not gonna lie, but <laughs> why would you lie? I would just look it up and call you a liar. But six hundred. Yeah, hey, but... that's not bad considering what they do. Yeah, and nowhere in there did I mention Sail the Faithless. So, I'm good, folks. Slow your I mean, roll. He's not even in the handbook. He's in the Forge World stuff. So, unless they change the points on him, he's going to stay stupid. Yeah, and I am i wouldn't touch him with a 10-foot pole. So, it's all good. Um, and then the only other thing I'm working on is selling my Tomb Kings. Um, I think it's time. It's just a direction I don't want to go in. Um, if someone wants to contact you about possibly buying your Tomb King army, how do they reach you? <laughs> Just on Twitter, um, at some kind of geek30. S-O-M-E-K-I-N-D-A-G-E-E-K-3-0. Yeah, it's a very large army. Most of it is painted. Um, and mo- almost all of it is on round bases. The And it's not like I don't like the army or anything like that, or it sucks or anything. It's just not the direction I want to go. And I started the army to prove a point in 8th edition. And it just didn't walk over with me to AOS, realistically. And it's not a real army anymore. Shut up. <laughs> so, anyway. I just like to upset Tyler. That's all. I'm just trying to piss off Tyler Mangle. So. Jerk wad. I all can right. be. I can do what and say what I want to. All right. What uh, have you been working on? Not a darn thing. Well, actually, I've been on vacation for most of this last time we weren't here, but I built the Hell Fort. GW sent me a Hell Fort a while back, and I was supposed to do a whole video on it, and I started putting it together. And um, Okay, the thing is not difficult to put together. It's just kind of a pain. First of all, the two towers that it comes with, it's like you cut it apart. They, they only go together the one way. Mm-hmm. Um, the joins are a little bit thin, like where you have to join them in. So, like, I put the first yep. tower together. Now, I have this stuff from Micromark called Same Stuff, mm-hmm. which is like plastic weld. And I figured, because some people have been complaining about the plastic that they use for the terrain bits. Like, some, you know, especially with some of the AOS terrain. It's like not, it's just, it was kind of hard to get it to work and to stay together. And Same Stuff is like this stuff. And that, you just, you don't even, like, brush it on or or you can brush it on, but it's more of a... Like, it bonds in seconds, so it's more of a hold the parts together and then use a little dropper and let uh, your capillary action sort of run between them, and it just fuses it together. Like, it was, it's a, Chris, Mull, uh, Chris Mullins showed me this stuff, and it's fantastic, and I've bought it and I've used it for terrain. In fact, I used almost a whole bottle of this stuff putting together all the 40K terrain, um, just all the stuff from the Armageddon box and stuff, because that stuff goes in there quick, gets between it, and it bonds it's like one you know it's it's no longer different pieces anymore you know mm-hmm. um but that became kind of a pain because the joints are so small and it was hard to kind of get in there so finally i was just like you know what forget it took out the regular not plastic glue but like the crazy glue stuff you know and it was just like bloop 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 just slathered that stuff on slapped it together pulled out my insta set you know, zip kicker stuff, spray, 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 done. I was tired of it because that stuff, I mean, it takes forever. It took me like a week of, of sitting here a couple of nights to build this one hell fort. Now, that, granted, it's got like six sections of wall 
which are three big pieces topped with about ten small pieces, and each piece you kind of got to hold in and make sure it sets because as it slots, it's still all the joints are really sort of precarious, and they're all pointy. That didn't even bother me because I just reached around it and held it. You know, I got big thick oh, no. sausage fingers. None of that bugs me. Like it bothered me putting together a lot of those for Adepticon. That was the biggest problem. But that I put and there's not a one straight line in the bunch forever. Oh well, like I said, when you hold that together and you use that the same stuff from Micromark, boom! This doesn't have to have a straight line as long as you're holding it together and it's touching. That stuff, that capillary action, runs down between it. Ten seconds later, it's it's one piece. Um, but like I said, I got tired of that. So I bought, I have this other glue that they sell over at the, at the, at UGG, uh, maxi cure or something like that. And they've got three versions of it, stuff that runs like water, stuff that's kind of thin and stuff that's thicker and it all bonds in different times. I just took the thick stuff and I just, okay, this is where it touches. We're going to put it all on there, slap the piece on it, hold it there a few seconds. Harrison, spray that zip kicker in the corners. Okay. Good, solid, done. I don't care. Because it does take for It's gorgeous. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. I'm going to spray it up all black because that's cheating. And then I'm just going to go through, and I haven't decided if I want them all bronze skulls or white skulls, but I'm just going to go do it pretty basic and simple. But I've got now so much terrain for AOS. I've got at least a table's worth for AOS, and I've got at least tables table's worth of 40K. And that's, that's what I wanted. That's where I'm happy with right now. So, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, I told you guys last week I had like five or six kits. I did pick up some Promethean pipes because they, f- they fit with the rest of the terrain stuff I got. I bought a lot of that uh, Mechanicum terrain looking stuff. Yeah. And so the Promethean pipes act nice as little where, you know, your guys can just run up behind it and get cover. And it mm-hmm. still matches everything else. So that's good. Um, and I did. Uh, what else did I pick up? I picked up. I picked up a pack, a three pack of those Reavers. I didn't want to wait for the new Reavers. Um, it says oh, the new Skull face guys. Yeah, it says uh. that they're push fit. Like it says, it says on the box does not require glue. So uh, I'm thinking later this week or next week, Kira and I were gonna. Well, I was gonna do try to do like two or three, like record a bunch of YouTube videos, so that way I can sit down in my copious free time and just sit and work on editing because I'm still not that good at that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Primaris Marines, you know, Kira's 11 and she's painting her ogres, and I said, you know what, I'll clip them. And then I'll just have her put them together. And if they honestly don't require glue, because I'm I'm assuming this is for someone who is new to hobbying or is younger. So let's see. She's 11. She's never actually built models before. She's just started with the painting. She's not that interested in building them. But I'll just give them to her. And it says push fit. It it says doesn't need glue. So let's see if she can put them together and if they stay together. So we'll see if that passes the sniff test on that. Hmm. Um, So we're gonna we're gonna she and I are gonna do that, and then we're gonna do a little other. Uh, video where she's talking, we're doing some of her stuff with ogres, because uh, GW a while back, I got contacted by someone from them, a different person, not like not like Rob or Eddie uh, or Paul, and uh, it was, uh, and they sent me a box of um, liberators, mm-hmm. and it comes with an actual, like like one of the GW brushes, like a nice one, like the medium layer brush, I think. Oh, yeah, and it's got the little paint pots in it. And it's got the six paint pots in it. But one of those is, like, the black brush-on primer, and one of them is, like, for the base. So it's Yeah, li- the cracker stuff. Yeah, and so you basically you've got a, a gold and a blue and then a wash for each of those. So it's not like you're going to go super fancy with the paint. But it's, like, it's for starters. It's a total starter kit. So Kira wants to take a crack at it. So we're going to do that one, too. 
We're going to show that one sort of on the YouTube video and see how it turns out with her doing that, and we're going to talk about that. So she's got a couple of, like, stuff for younger kids. Like, if you've got kids who want to learn to play the game, maybe we can do something like that with them. So that's where we're at with that. That's the stuff that I've picked up and that we're going to be doing. So that's it. Honestly, I haven't even painted any more Stormcast, which I want to finish them, but I kind of don't want to finish them. Like, I Mm -hmm. almost... I love playing them. I just kind of need a break right now. And the thing is, I want to paint... I want... I want to change up my list a little bit because I've been playing the same list for a year mm-hmm. or p- close to the same list, small variations. But the way to change up the list is to build the new stuff that I bought and haven't gotten built and painted yet. And gold, blue, and white is starting to drive me batty. Oh, yeah. So it's like, mm, do I want to do this or do I just want to go and paint and play with some of my uh, overlords? And I don't know what to do because I promised myself I would finish all these darn Stormcast. So, like, basically right now the stuff that's out of the box and done is getting done. And and everything else I, I, I will decide once this stuff is done. But it hurts me to, to... I don't want to admit defeat. And I'd like to get this stuff... And I have a feeling it would re- renew some of my love for them if I pulled out some of these new little shooty guys and these little Chocobo riders and stuff. But, uh... Mm-hmm. I just... I don't know. I'm, 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 feel, I'm hitting a bit of a wall with these dudes. Then it's time to walk away. So, yeah, I might have to just paint something else and come back to them. And that's a good so, idea. Okay, well, what, do you, what else are you going to do? All right, uh, gaming. I've been, I was on vacation, dude. I No gaming, none. So let, tell people, because you did, a, again, Mr. Modest. Oh, I'm not that great of a player. Why don't you let everybody know how awesome you are? Shut up. Um, <laughs> so uh, Domus, friend of the show, recently held uh, the Midwest Meltdown. Um, down in Peoria, we had about 30 players come on down from all over the place, Milwaukee, New Jersey even, um, St. Louis. So had a lot of people come from all over the place. Um, I ended up coming in fourth, uh, taking nice. best order um, with the Stormcast. Uh, I used a Hammer Strike Force to Good job. most effectiveness. Um I lost one game, and that was to Jake uh, from Detroit. Um, Jake, you know who you are. I play like an absolute idiot that game. Um, I wasn't feeling super well that game, and stuff just was not going right. But um, it is what it is. Um, I'm really tired of them. Um, I've been playing this army competitively for about a year and a half now, Um and I, I'm trying to figure out the best way to say this. I'm sorry for the umming, folks. I'm just <laughs> really ready to do something new as far as Alex going to a tournament and playing. I need to play something different because you get st- you play something for a while and it just gets to the point where it's like lather, rinse, repeat. So um, exactly. I'm going to be switching to Moon Clan, the Grotz, for the foreseeable future um, until we get something new. So... That's kind of where I'm at. I need to change it up. Otherwise, you just get bored. Makes sense. Makes sense. So, what else? Uh, Reading or other? Um, I'll go first. Uh, Really, not much um, because I've been on vacation. So, uh, I got home. I watched most of that American Gods. I'm kind of liking it, although I don't do a lot of Neil Gaiman. I did Neverwhere. I did Sandman. But sometimes he gets on my nerves. 
Uh, but American Gods, the show, actually was pretty cool. Uh, mm-hmm. I want to plug wearetheneon.wordpress.com again. There are still articles going up on there uh, with some narrative gaming. Uh, if you're into narrative gaming, that's where you want to go. And other than that, really not much. I was on vacation. So that's pretty much all I got for you. Yeah. So I'd like to make a quick plug before we get into the review because that's where we're heading next. Um, The Michigan Grand Tournament is going to be in Lansing October 6th through 8th. Um, And it's going to have AOS, 40K. There's a lot of other stuff that's going to be going on there. So this is in Lansing run by a great group of guys. Um, Shout out to Tyler Mengel. Uh, who will be one of the organizers, I believe. And then, obviously, the Detroit crew will be there, who, despite reputation, are a very awesome group of guys to hang out with and spend time with. So please make sure, if you can get there, make it out there. It's going to be a a big deal. And I really would encourage people to get out there if you can. So that's the first full weekend in October, the 6th through the 8th. Awesome. So, And if you want to check it out, michigangt.com traditional spelling for michigan and then it's just the letters gnt there you go so it's all good all right so with that we'll take a break we're going to come back with the beast claw raiders yeah mornfang skalg rudarg rudarg dreams of one day being a frost lord for decades of hunting, fighting, and feeding, he has ridden in his Mornfang pack, more often than not as part of the Jorobad of the Svardal Frosted. Before that, he served in the frozen armies of Vintrapad, a mercenary raid of Beast Claws in the service of Archaon. Those years, fighting beside the warriors of the Dark Gods and the Everchosen's own merciless Varengard, taught Rudark much of the cold savagery of war. By the time he accepted meat from the hand of the Sfard Frost Lord, he was an exceptional warrior, and his mind was filled with a thirst for power as strong as any winter-born hunger. Despite his yearning to lead, Rudarg is still a beast claw, and knows treachery and assassination are the tools of cowards, not the way of ogres. He will take his place at the head of his own Alfrosten, not by such feeble tricks, but by winning glory for himself in battle. These thoughts drive Rudarg on, and when the horns of winter blare, he is always the first to answer the call. We are back! Those are Beast Claw Raiders roaring into combat right there. That's what that was. That was awesome. No, it wasn't, but thank you. No, um, it wasn't. Um, <laughs> so, Beast Claws. Yeah. So, everyone else covered this book ages ago. Whatever. We had Not really. I haven't seen a lot of Beast Claw reviews. And uh, Well, I mean, people talked about them when they came out and talked about how awesome the Stonehorns and the Thunder Tusks were. And then everybody sort of wrote it off after that. Uh, it's You don't see them being played at... As a straight up Beast Claw Raiders list, almost ever. Yeah, I've seen it a couple of times. I played against it in Canada last year, and it was really well. We had one or two at Wapaka 
this last year, but we don't see a lot of them. And why do you think that is? To be honest, the biggest issue with Beast Claws is like on the table and in general is they have a very small range of models. There's not a lot to go on because you just have the and various flavors of Thunder Tusk and Stonehorn, Mornfang, Yeti, Cats, and f- Hunters on Foot. Right. So this is a very small range, not like the – even like the Bone Splitters. There's tons of variations on each one of those kits. There's not a lot that we have with this. This reminds me a lot of the Fire Slayers, except they're, they're like uh, that only larger in in terms of you only have a couple of model choices. And if you're playing these, aren't uh, aren't the Mornfang? They're their battle line. If you're playing this particular list, am I correct? Battle line is Mornfang. And then the non-hero versions of Thunder Tusks and Stonehorns are actually battle line. If they're if they're not if they don't have a rider, if they don't have a hero, um, and then if you take a hunter on foot as your general, then you get saber tusks, the, the frost, frost sabers, sabers, yeah, as battle line. And if you have a frost lord on a thunder tusk as your general, you get icefall yetis as another battle line option. Okay. So you have so, these different options. The, I think the biggest problem is there's no inexpensive core unit to take that will hold objectives. And if you're playing narrative, if you're playing objective-based gaming, which you know I think we can all agree is is sort of the most fun and the best way to play, you know, instead it, of just push it together and kill it, yeah. I mean, straight up battle line is kind of dead. It's different. It moves very quickly. It's a very small model count army, so you get into gaming quicker. Right. Especially with that new start collecting that just dropped for them. The cost benefit on that is ridiculous. Getting four Mornfang and a Stonehorn for 85 bucks. Isn't that pretty much the cost of a stone horn or something like that? Or just a little more than the it's, cost of a stone horn? Well, it's the two boxes of the Mornfang, and then you get the stone horn for free. Oh, okay. There you go. Yeah. So you buy two of those boxes, and we'll talk about that later, and you have almost a 2,000-point army. Yeah. So you're in this game for less than 200 bones. At a, at, at a, at a, at a, high, a high points level, yeah. Yeah, but once again, your model count is so tiny. It's like trying to hold objectives and things like that becomes difficult. I think that's where the biggest problem comes in. Yeah, you have to make the most out of all of your units because you don't have a lot of them. Now, granted, Mornfang are six wounds a pop, so they're going to take a while to put in the ground. But every time you lose one, you are losing a substantial chunk of your fighting power. Yes, Um, and let's see, their units are two. And their bravery six. So when you lose one on a one in you're six checking. chance, on a one in six chance, your unit's gone. Yeah, that's not cool. So, all right, let's jump into this. Uh, cool cover. Nice. Oh one. yeah, I like that he's got. I mean, I know that they stick bones in their skin. This guy's got his entire blade in a in a like sheathed in his own chest. Yeah, that's a very ogrey thing. That's scary He's got that as hell. crazy smile on his face. That's the thing that unsettles him the most is his smile. Oh, he's just having a good old time. He is. So I picked this up. Now, here I'll, I'm going to be 100% honest with you. 
Yeah. Uh, I never read through all the fluff on this. This came out when I was out of town for something. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if it came out when I was going to Adepticon or if it came out when I was doing something for school. I was doing something, and this kind of came out, and I, I kind of I, I, I went through and I read the little sidebar story bits and stuff, um, but I didn't read too much of the fluff because I kind of felt like I knew what this was, and when it was so few models, like I just kind of I kind of went through it sort of haphazardly. I, I will admit I was a bad gamer. Uh, I was I was I was I was a terrible story stinker, uh, and I didn't go through the lore as much as I should. And it's thin, but there's some interesting parts to it. Yeah, this going through this, the book itself didn't have a hook. No, for me. and that's the problem. The, the, and the, the hooks that they threw weren't deep enough to sink. Like they just. They were conjecture. There was nothing in here that was solid enough. Yeah. Now, I don't know if it's because they're looking at it based on from a more Beast Claw perspective where it's just they run around, they hit things, they do their thing. So the need to document history is not that important to them. Right. But for those of us trying to get involved in an army, you have to hook onto the concepts for this versus a particular history. Yeah, and I that's think that's a thing. bit of a switch. And it it moves a little bit away from the old ogre fluff. It moves a the lot of ogre bit away. lore. Well, I mean, but it still keeps that sort of they don't seem to keep much of their own lore together. No. You know, and that's and that's like okay, and that was the problem I had with the old ogres and the old edition was there was nothing that didn't delve much deeper than we kill and eat. Uh, the inter- the most interesting thing about them was the stuff that we never got to see, which was the Great Maw and things like that, which has been completely dropped, mm-hmm. at least from the Beast Claw Raiders. Now, um, I think there's some interesting stuff right off in the beginning. You know, they talk about how each raider is super powerful. How powerful is he? You know, super one raider, one Beast Claw Raider can kill a dozen free guild swordsmen or a dozen greenskin aurochs or a dozen bloodbound warriors. With one hand, they can crush an auric skull or choke a Dracoth to death. So that's pretty strong. You know, choke out a Dracoth um, seems pretty. I, I guess this is all like that whole thing where like forty Space Marines can pacify a planet type thing, where it's like okay, that in the in the in the lore that works. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got some terminology that they throw at us fast and furious in the first couple pages. Their tribes are called, how do you pronounce this? Alfrostens? Alfrostens. Alfrostens. Okay. Uh, it almost sounds like Al Franken, but it's not. Okay. But I think it's all more towards all, and then it's frost uns, all frostens. All frostens. That's what I was saying, too. Okay. Uh, they're led by a frost lord. He's the oldest and more most powerful. And then, as you put out, they've got Mornfang packs. They got stone horns and thunder tusks, frost sabers and yetis. And other than that, you've just got like the couple of these leader characters and uh, and, and a hunter. Yeah. Uh, they consist now. This I did. <sighs> It's such an interesting concept, and it, there's, it's it's not fleshed out enough. And I don't know who wrote this. I don't want to. I don't want to throw stones. You know, I'm not published author. At least not as well. Not not as far as fiction goes. I'm not. But 
They constantly run and they raid ahead of this magical blizzard of ice and snow called the Everwinter, also called the Weird Wind Ice Storms, the Breath of Gorka Morka, the Frost Fair March, uh, you know, things like that. Uh, and they run ahead of this, eating all they can before winter settles in and freezes everything they leave behind. Uh, you know what? <laughs> you saw Fury Road, right? I did. That, that giant storm riding in right alongside their their you know where the where the where the, where the cars are all flying on the road. There's that giant like sandstorm riding in. Mm-hmm. I'm picturing like the Nega version of that. Instead of the hot desert, it's the cold ice and snow. That riding in with the with the ogres instead of trucks. Just instead of giant eighteen wheelers, it's uh, you know a thunder tusk or something like that riding in. Yeah. Now, also, I'd like to just if you have your book in front of you, which I do, look on page five, right next to where it says Beast Claw Raiders. I know exactly what you're looking at. Will somebody tell me what that stuff is on the top in the back? It's a lot of bones, Dave. That's just a pile of bones. That's not a creature. It was, but now it's bones. Oh, see, that looked like it was moving to me. I thought that was something that was... No, I think those are modeled into the landscape and then frozen over in ice. Oh, that's not nearly as fun. Well, they're big beasties. Well, because they said... Well, it says in here that they call the blizzards, and it says in here that other creatures come in. And, you know, I was like, other creatures? Like, what? Is that that in the back? Is that something I didn't see? What is that? No, I think the other creatures are talking about, like, the blood vultures, the sabers, the yetis. Oh. So Besides, what did you think I was looking at then? The big beasties in the back that look oh. like big piles of bones built into the landslide uncovered by snow. Oh, I just wanted them to be something else. No, they're not that cool, Dave. Okay. Sorry, bro. So. Well, poop. <laughs> yeah, that's later. So, um, back to the Everwinter. The thing is... They never come up with a full definition of why this storm follows all of the Alfrostons. No. And essentially what this is, is this way people get a better idea. The army is always on the move, hence why they're raiders. They don't form settlements because if they stop for too long, this magical blizzard that follows behind them will then freeze them, but not freeze them solid. It, it will, will freeze them freeze. solid, but they won't die. Like, they can be thawed out again, which I thought was cool. That Yeah, later on when they told us that. Mm-hmm. But they're racing ahead of this frost, but the frost helps them. Yes. Like, it helps them do what they do, but they can't ever stop doing it. Yeah. Now, they talk about how this is like a curse. It's a punishment in some of the tales for their greed, for their avarice, their need to consume. So... That's all well and good, but I wanted something a little more definitive. Like, what was the trigger definitively for the creation of the Alfrostons and the Beast Claw Raider tribes? They talk about it in the little cutout for Beargut Vosjal yep. on page 8, who was the first Frost Lord, how he ate the heart of an Urbear. Um, but, again, that's the closest thing to a definitive... Now, they also say Mork tricked him. Like, somehow he had... Uh, Mork tricked him into eating this. Mork had been angered by his bold claims that the ogre's ascendancy over all other beasts. And apparently, Gorka Morka is still more of an ogre. I mean, orc than an ogre. So when they said they were better than anything... He, he got upset. He got upset. And uh, 
so he basically starved him half to death and then let him in here and the only thing he could eat was that heart which then much like a like, like that story of that that Grom the Paunch apparently the heart on this thing would not be digested it just kept regenerating <laughs> Uh, and so it sits inside of him beating. And every time that frozen heart beats, it calls forth these winter storms. And they say that the rumor is on the, the, the howl of the winter wind is actually him screaming, uh, summoning the winter to the rest of the beast claws. Yeah. But that's still like a weird little rumory story. Mm-hmm. Now, the way that they have... They talk about later how it's just a rug – like they just accept it, that this is – they don't necessarily care how it's there. It's there. They just accept it and move on. But before we Which, get to that, hold on a second because oh, there was something here that I thought – that I, I liked a lot and that was before. They talk a bit about the ogres before the the this uh, Everwinter hit them and it talks about how they would ride with uh, – they would run through – and uh, they would ride. They were hunters and trackers for Gorka Morka's armies. So here they're tying this back into them being a part of the Destruction Army, the Destruction yeah. Alliance. This make this makes more sense. We've dropped the Great Maw. That 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 whatever was on that planet that did that thing that we did before. That's that story's gone. Um. So what you've got is these guys just basically live. For Gorka Morka ju- and, and to fight, um, whereas the Oryks fight because they love the fight. These guys fight because they love the fight and because they're always hungry and they need something to eat. But <laughs> they were the guys who ran out in, in the lead, uh, you know, uh, for Gorka Morka's armies. And then they get this whole thing. There's stories of the Beast Claws riding into battle before the assembled hosts. At the Rift Weird Crossing, they were the first warriors to storm the Rampart Bridges. They broke through the Dwarden Siege Engines, while Stonehorns and Thundertusks shattered the great Storm Iron Gateways that opened the path to the Silver Vales beyond. In the midst of the Spirit Storm downpour, packs of Beast Claw Hunters pulled down the Necrofuge sails of the Death Song Queen. The Ogre's brutal assault shattered the Queen's spirit webs and robbed her Night Haunt armies of their ghostly energy. For an age, they were the favored warriors of Gorka Morka, and their rewards were foes to fight and mounds of meat. So this, you know, then he betrayed Gorka Morka and was punished with the Everwinter. Mm-hmm. And uh, they kind of have to accept it. They have to, because if they don't, they just freeze. Yeah. And they don't die, yep. so they starve. And they're, like, apparently aware. It's sort of like a, you know, demolition man. They're aware of their surroundings in their frozen state, and they're just sitting there hungry and starving and dying to be unfrozen and come back out. Right. Now, for them, it seems to be like a motivator that they have to keep moving, they have to keep eating. Uh, and it's like a motivator for their greed and their... Shoot. <laughs> That's okay. That's Go what away. they do. Don't worry about it. So, dogs do. Yeah. So with the Curse of the Everwinter... Um, it's either a motivator for their greed and hunger, so they constantly have to eat, constantly have to feed and hunt. But it's also like a curse, which is what it's intended to be. You have to keep going. You have to keep eating. You have to keep fighting. So you ever really satisfied or satiated if you can't stop doing those things. True. It's like having too much of a good thing, I think, would be 
the way to do it. You can't sit back and enjoy what you've earned because if you sit too long, you're going to turn into an ice cube. Yep. So, they, I mean, they have like a cursed thing going for them, similar to how we saw the flesh eaters, but they're not lost in the delusions and they don't try to fight against it, which is what I would normally expect an ogre to do because that's what ogres do. They fight against everything. Right, but how do you fight nature, especially when it comes from your own gods? And especially you try to stay and fight it, you're just going to freeze. You're going to I bet you the first couple did. I bet mm-hmm. you the first couple said, "I'm not going." And then when they froze solid, the guys went and said, "Oh, there's something bigger than Grog. We need to move." Mhm. You know? Um and like I said, I don't even know if that curse of Mork makes total sense, but it leaves it open for other ideas for later. It opens a lot of interpretation, right? Because there's no definitive answer. Because if it was truly a curse, I think it almost would have caught them all and 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 frozen them by now. Like they would have just caught them and been like, "Up, ah, too slow. Now you're going to be punished until I'm done being mad at you." But it doesn't. It just keeps them running, you know, doing the things that they've been doing before, and this is what they've done this whole time, you know. So. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, I do like the description of when the all frostins arrive, how the temperature is in your area. If you're getting about to get attacked, the temperature drops, all the trees die. Like mm-hmm. it gets that so cold that they don't just, it's not like here in the winter where the trees, the trees die. The rivers freeze over. There's snow, there's screaming wind. Um, and it's very interesting how they talk about places that, you know, other tyrants or overlords or other or chaos has come through you can see some semblance of that original life that was there it may be destroyed but at some point you can come back and and start over again from the from the ruins of what they've left you know the stormcast stories they do this you know come back and take back the ruins and rebuild places destroyed by beast claw raiders are wastelands they are anathema to life they are buried under snow it could take centuries for that snow to thaw um, there's nothing left. And I thought about that. I'm like, well, what do you mean nothing left? And then later in the book, I realized what they meant by nothing left. And we'll get to that when we start covering some of the beasties in this book. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, people fear the coming of the ogres and with really good reason. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Um, and then the book goes on to talk about how their connection to Gorka Mork is, which I like. Like I said, I yeah. keep saying this. I, I just, I love that they've tied these guys in. With Gore. It makes sense now that they're on the destruction side. Aside from rampant destruction. But with Gork and Orca, they've kind of reinvented him into this, like, Lord of Beasts and how its connection to animals, its connection to the hunt, to killing. Right. And he loves which, the battle. You've got, like, who is it? The Is it the Bone Splitters who love to go and just take down big beasties? Yeah, the Bone Splitters hunt the beasties. The Iron Jaws are always looking for the right scrap. These guys are always on the move raiding. So it's doing all of those things that is very animalistic, which still ties into like the whole beast mentality with Gorka Morka. But they're Brutal identifying and cunning. Yeah. But they look at him as two different parts. You have Gork, which is the roar of the charging beast, because he is the loud one, and then Mork, which is the crunching and tearing of the prey. So it's the hunting and the eating in the same kind of mentality and different interpretation of Gorka Morka compared to like the beast cl- or the oh, bone yeah. splitters or iron jaws. It's very cool. 
Um, they talk about the Huskar Tor, which we're going to come to later. He's the spiritual leader. He speaks right through the cold of them. I like that they, they don't put up any temples to him. Or they don't put any nope. stuff up. Um, they might raise a henge stone, which is a giant mm-hmm. shard of ice where they carve in their runes and the face of Gorka Morka. So if, there's a, if they get a particularly wonderful kill, a wonderful feast, you know, good eats, they will raise up one of the big ice shards and mark things in praise to him. Um, and uh, then they, they're okay. They, there's a... What is it? The Svogord posts? Where is this that I wanted to read about this? They talked about this. Um, okay. I wanted to read this. Maybe, maybe this was just... I don't know if this was written a little poorly or maybe there was a mistake, but let me read this part to you. Uh, it talks about when... The, I'm on page 10, end of page 10. Um, when the freezing wind hammers the enemies, then Gorkamorka's please, but his favor can change quickly. Those same snows can make them easy... Can, can make... The easy kill can grow too deep, wiping out all life and leaving nothing to eat. Before a raid, many Beast Claw tribes will make offerings to the god. Svogork posts of bone and stone topped with the face of Gorka Morka are driven into the highest peak the tribe can find. Powerful key, uh, creatures, proud kings, and infamous warlords are then lashed to them. These sacrifices represent the finest meat at the feast and are offered to the hungering god. It's one of the few times ogres leave meat behind instead of allowing the frost to claim their prisoners. So it says that they do this before the raid. But I'm I'm going on the assumption that the putting down the the people is after the raid. Like they don't say that, yeah. but they say it's before the raid. I'm supposed we're supposed to assume that this is because uh, I mean unless they're carrying around guys from the last raid, which I can't believe that at all. Um, no, I would assume they would eat them. So they, they put they they put up the big post beforehand when it looks like it's going to be a good thing, and they want the winds to be good for them, and then they'll bring him back. The best part, I mean, this is this. Sounds like anything with any any legend of any gods. You offer him the best part of your of your yeah. yeah. The posts seem like an invitation to the dinner table, and that we're doing this in your favor. Yeah, and then we will reward you if you bless us. Now they have so. a couple of other weird rites too that I read. Now, if two tribes cross accidentally, like they don't plan on it, they just see each other. That's apparently bad luck. So they have to have what's called an alarok, where they hunt and kill and eat a great beast together. So they mm-hmm. do like a, a mini hunt together and then go on their own way because you're only supposed to meet up if you're planning on hunting together. And I'm assuming that, you know, meat is scarce enough for one Alfrosten, so two together it might not be so good. And you don't, that's so, that's bad luck. So you have the alarok, and then they, you know, maybe they're going to the same prey or something like that. But so they, it's bad luck to meet that way if they don't realize it. So they make up an offer to Gorka Morka by hunting and killing a great beast. Now, when they come on purpose, that's a Vosak Tor. That's a super raid. Ends in, that's, that, that's the type of stuff you see in those pictures in the book where it's all, you know, just walls and walls of Beast Cloud Raiders. And that's where your entire country is gone when they're done. Um, yeah. The storm apparently gets even worse. You know, it like multiplies with the multiple armies. Um, you know. Yeah, they talk about it right here that it's a rare occurrence, but one that heralds the doom of nations and armies. As the Vosak Tor sets off to hunt, it does so with the blessing of the Predator God. With the blessing of the Predator God. With the blessing of the Predator God. 
at the head of a storm of epic proportions. So they get together and it it goes very very badly. It's like Does it have the blessing of the predator god though? It says the blessing. I know. I I'm sh- just teasing you. I know. It's just where is of of is important. <sighs> anyway, <laughs> so. Uh, now, it also talks, they often fight alongside gut busters, uh, grots, uruks, and bone splitters. But the bone splitters are kind of rivals with, because they all, they, all, all, they all want the big, the big kill. Yeah, so they're bo- the hunters. Bone so splitters in them. Yeah, bone splitters in them, not as, they get rival, they get too much rivalry between them. So they're not together as often, but they will fight with other guys. Um, and I love the rise of Gordrak is causing a big stir among... Among these uh, Beast Claw Raiders. As he's yeah, pulling he seems to be huge. like the apex predator, as it were. Yeah, and there's a lot of them starting to follow him, which I think is cool. Yeah. Uh, you know what? Let's talk Everwinter really quick before we go through the different uh, information, uh, and then we'll take a quick break. Mm-hmm. Uh, Everwinter, actually, it's really quick. Um, it's always at their backs. They have to keep moving. Uh, it'll catch and freeze them if they slow down and don't keep moving. Now, obviously, I mean, they can sleep and, you know, they can rest long enough to eat and stuff. But if you are like, it, they can't make camp and stay indefinitely. Oh, this is a nice place. Let's hang out a bit. No. Kill stuff, eat that stuff, take a rest and move on. Um, and it's like I said, it's terrible because it doesn't kill them, like you said. It just traps them and starves them until something makes the mistake of thawing them out. <laughs> right. And um, we've seen that happen with, like, Stormcasts when they drop in and all the electricity and the lightning and all that. And then they fall apart and melt. And suddenly you have a very angry ogre army that's very, very hungry. Yeah. And that's – but they got to feed and ride at the same time because those storms are still there. Mm-hmm. Like that storm, like if you break them free, the storm starts to whip up fast. And it's like, oh, wait, no, that's mine. And so that storm suddenly whips up around them and they're like, oh, it's back. We got to move. So I just pictured that's almost that's almost like hitting the drive through. It's like, go, just hit, kill, kill what you can, grab it, eat it and move on. Mm-hmm. Um, which if it's Stormcast that busts them open, that's that's not good. Because no. they can't eat them. And it mentions some of that later, things that they get annoyed with because um, they can't. In fact, you know what? We've still got – that was quick enough. Why don't we quick talk about the Raiders of the Realms, and then we'll come back with the uh, space timeline. Um, these guys go through all eight realms, and they eat pretty much everything. Um, what I thought was interesting here is, is the, some of the, the, the – you get some info about what some of the other races think about them. Um, Nagash hates them because they eat everything. They don't leave him a courtesy corpse to reanimate. Not even a skeleton. Yeah, they don't just eat the meat off the bones. They eat the bones. If there's nothing left, he loves war because when the battlefield's done, that's all. You know, one army marches off the battlefield, and the other army he just raises and pulls to his side. Not so when these guys go through because there's nothing left. It's kind of awesome. Um. Now, an interesting thing is the ev- the beast claws don't eat their own. Uh, no, some of the gut busters ogres have been known to eat ogres. Yeah, there's a cannibalistic existence there too. Should the hunger get bad enough, ogres will eat their own. 
Um, but gut, bust, uh, gut busters will do it, but Beast Claws will never eat other Beast Claws because Everwinter owns them, and you don't want to make the storm angry. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. They hate demons, ghosts, and seraphon because, as we've pointed out with Stormcast, you can't eat them. Yep. Ghosts are incorporeal, seraphon, and demons. Demons turn to ectoplasm, seraphon turn to light. Um, they didn't like the Stormcast because they turned to lightning. But as it puts, they're a wi- they're like a wildfire that forces the prey from hiding. So they kind of follow behind them and clean up. If they see the stormcast rush through, they're like, "Oof!" Everything because when they're done, there's either bad guys still there or there's the good guys coming out saying, "Oh look, we've been freed mm-hmm. from the yoke of oppression," and now they're all starting up their nice little you know cottages, the thatch roof cottages. And uh, and then the 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 beast class come riding in free meal. Yeah, pretty much. That's <laughs> just kind of awesome. And they they talk about them eating even like the rotten meat of rot bringers in the realm of life, or they've also developed a taste for the heartwood of Sylvaneth. Oh yeah, uh-huh. some of them like that woodsy flavor, the different oaks or or, or a birch. Mm-hmm. They'll eat that. Uh, they they have no problems eating the undead. Just no. because the body is desiccated and or or rotting, psh, eat it. Yeah, they have really good uh, intestinal fortitude, as it were. Oh yeah, so they, they, can, they eat can just literally about anything. Eat anything. It's it's amazing. Um, That's why it's so barren because they they eat everything. Yeah, and then spoiler alert: the stone horns eat the stone. Yeah, that's why there's nothing. Literally, they say it's it's a wasteland because the buildings get eaten the weapons get eaten everything gets eaten i did not know about this stuff this is the stuff where okay the lore's not that deep they still are pretty much a run forward kill it and eat it army uh a, 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 a race i should say not just an army but there's bits in here that i'm really liking so you know let's take a quick break a quick break Come back with the space timeline and then jump into their command structure and some of the uh, some of the different uh, uh, not the unit entries but like what they're about because there's some lore behind the different units that like I said with the st- like, didn't know that the Stonehorns ate stone so we'll talk about that when we get back too so we'll be back in a minute. Games in Grays Lake, Illinois is your one-stop shop for all your gaming needs. They carry anything your gamer may want, from board games, collectible card games, miniature-based games, and all your hobby gaming supplies are there. UGG has it all. Come into the store and ask about their frequent buyers program. Check out their events calendar, in-store or online. From Tuesday night miniature games and Thursday night board games to Friday night magic, there's always something going on at Unique Gifts and Games in Grays Lake, Illinois. Check them out on the web at uniquegg.com.
And we are back with another space timeline, but it's in a blizzard with ice and snow. And it's only two pages. It is only two pages. It's very, very short. But that's okay. It's still got a lot of punchy stuff in here. So what are some of the things you like? Uh, the first Alfrostin happens during the Age of Myth. I got that one. Yeah, they have that one. Uh, the other one I had seen that I really liked was The Long Hunt, where they talk about a skull, which we will get to as one of their like divisions. It's trying to think, or this part of how their structure is, where it's hunters and frost savers and yetis brought about the destruction of the 12th Atlantic Empire in Chamon. Yes. And they did this for decades, raiding and killing, breaking the vast human kingdom into isolated camps and towns that can then be picked off one by one. Who is the 12th, or who was, the 12th Atlantic Empire in Chamon? Good question. Another one of those little nuggets. It's like, Atlantic? What? What is Atlantic? I know Atlantis, but I don't know Atlantic. Yep. Is this like Atlantic? That doesn't make any sense in the realm of metal, but sure. Um, so we have that one. And then the one that got me confused was Iron and Ice, which is the mega boss Grack Gob to break down the dreadhold surrounding the Manticore Realm Gate in the realm of beasts. He re- gets like into an arrangement with the Svart Alfrosten, and they, the Chaos Defenders break down in front of the combined packs of Mornfang and Gorgruntas, the ground shaking to the rolling thunder of their charge. So they have that mentioned, and then the Frozen Lightning, they talk about Bragoth's Svart Alfrosten was freed from the ice by the arrival of a storm host, and the ogres immediately attack them fighting as the ice fell from their bodies right now that's cool so somewhere in there the al the sfard al frosten froze over yep somewhere they got like, caught. wait a minute they went from doing good working with some iron jaws and smashing down a dread hold to they got frozen to they got woken up by stormcast dropping in so for me it was just kind of like in continuity for a second but well, it gives you that primary example of they go from one thing to the next to the next. Oh, yeah. And they freeze over in between sometimes. Yep. Now, there was a couple of things that I thought were interesting in here. Um, the Jarkin Alfrosten, after its leader was slain by Zinch Arcanites, um, the, the Zinch magic mixed in with the Everwinter of the Alfrosten, that magical storm, and these guys, their skin took on a bluish hue, and they have frost all over themselves. So, like, they literally watch, and frost falls from their skin with every step. So they are they, their skin, the, the magic that hit them combined with the magic of the storm, and now it's literally in them. So they start to frost with every step. Their skin is bluish, and it's then frost builds up on them. So as they step, little chunks of frost fall off of them as they walk. I thought that was pretty cool. Hmm. Uh, and it's also a pretty cool thing that you could, you know, possibly do with your modeling or something like that. Yeah. Um, let's see what else was in here. Uh, the Cerulean Comet Storm Host fought with them. 
Uh, and this with this per, 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 uh, this particular Allfrosten. And the ogres turned the battle in the Stormcast's favor, but their allies were wreathed ever after in an aura of frost. So we have Stormcasts with frost sticking around them. Mm-hmm. After fighting with the with this with them, and I thought that was cool that that magic stuck to them. Uh, let's see, whatever. Oh, and of course, uh, Hunters of the Sky Roads. I was just about to mention this one too. Go ahead, take it. High above Chimon. The Alwyr Alfrosten traveled the latticework of the floating bridges known as Skyroads. They preyed upon grot pirates and winged beastmen. Oh, There's more there. Yeah. Grot pirates. We this is the second this. mention of them. It was yeah, actually the grot, first mention. Grot pirates. It was the mention. first. And then we have the grot bag uh, scuttlers mentioned in the Overlord's book. So this is now two mentions of grot pirates. I cannot wait. Oh. It would be kind of amazing, and see Grotz yeah, with, little, with little captain's hats on and stuff. That'd be adorable. That would be awesome. Hey, we already know it looks cool because they got those orcs from Forty uh, K with the pirate hats on and stuff like that. Yeah, the Ludas. Yeah, I think they're called. Yeah, whatever they are. I don't know, or but flash I mean, kits. Yeah, they they're pretty cool. You know. Uh, let's see. Oh, and I like this one. <laughs> okay. The Fist of Gork. This one just I, cracks me up, the last one. So, okay, it's in the Realm of Beasts. The Godrak comes out. Um, he brings all these people together this is for his growing war, and hundreds of Alfrostens are there. In between the battles, some of these Beast Claw Alfrostens will intentionally tick off the green-skinned armies around them. They will sit there and say that Gorkamorka looks more like an Ogor than an Oruk. Which I thought them saying they were the best is what got them in trouble in the first place. But now they're not just saying they're the best. They're saying, no, 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 our god looks more like us. Gorkamorka looks like an ogre. We are way tougher than you. Gorkamorka is the toughest. He obviously must look like us. And this starts arguments. And these arguments gives them an excuse for eating them if things get violent. So if they're hungry, they pick fights with the orcs. <laughs> By telling them that Gorkamorka is an ogre and not an auric. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then when they get mad, they just taunt them. They, it, it, that's such a simple way to upset an orc I could picture. Now, your god looks like us, not you. And they get mad. And <laughs> they're like, well, this way, if we get hungry when we fight them, we'll be like, look, they attacked us. I just think that's, I thought that was fantastic. Um, but I think the biggest thing out of here, besides uh, the the stormcast with the frost aura around them, um, is the is the grot pirates again. Yeah, up in the air. Because if you mentioning them more than once now, they're, oh, they're going to show up some point. They think they're going to show up at least in a story somewhere. They got to show up somewhere. Yeah, but all things considered. Do it. <laughs> yeah. Just do it, please. Uh, all right. So let's get to this next part here. Uh, now they Where talk- it kind of breaks down the Alfrosten. Yeah. Now, I mean, they do this with all the armies. And um, the Seraphon one was, I think, the hardest one to understand, the little celestial breakdowns. Because it was all, like, 
the constellations. Yeah, and the different shapes of the stars. Um, Stormcast, it's really simple because it's broken into those basic chambers. Um, Overlords, it's simple because it's a, it's, it's a business. Like, you literally yeah. just have the entry-level positions and how they go up and the different things off here. This one looks a lot, I think, as you pointed out, like the... What a surprise. It's very similar to the uh, Auric. Yeah, the bone split is mentality. Yeah. Looks very similar. And then Iron Jaws have a different thing where it's the different fists that they form up into. Right. But this... We're seeing this with a lot of the destruction where it's like a divine interpretation of a beast or of the army itself, the way that they look at themselves. With the beast claws, you have the hunting hand, the feasting hand. And I'm not sure if this is an easy way that they can provide army structure that we as people, not in this gaming universe, can more easily understand. So I'm not sure if that's what they're trying to do, if they're trying to give it more structure for the battalions. I wonder how much of this is gaming-related versus background-related. Uh, I think it's a little bit of both. Um, it's easy to help it for the for the game, but let's be honest. Un- unless you're playing straight, I mean, some real pure either open gaming or pure narrative, very few of these larger setups are going to fit into a into a regular game. Right. So, but I mean, most of these races are rather militaristic. I mean, it, the game is called Warhammer. You know, yeah. so they're all geared up into some some sort of a militaristic bent. So it makes sense that they're they're when we talk about how they break up their races, we talk about it from a sort of you know the military standpoint. Um, I think it just so happens that, especially with the destruction ones, their entire life is a military breakdown. You know what I'm saying? Because all mm-hmm. they do is fight. Uh, I thought this one was really cool, though. I liked how they broke this down. Um, you know, the first offering ha- happens during the Age of Myth. Uh, oh, no, wait. That's not what I want to say. Wait, that's I'm on the wrong page of notes. Flip. Uh, you got the Frost, horn, Frost Lord, who can ride a Stonehorn or a Thundertusk. Then you got your Husguards, and Husguards lead either to Joralbad or the Uralbad. What's a Joralbad again? Well, you've got this. The um, Joralbad, Joralbad is, number two. is the yeah, it's the hunting spear, um, the fighting hand. Okay, so this is the first wave that goes in, similar to how we saw the echelons. With the Stormcast, how it's the lightning and the thunder with the first wave, second wave. Right. This is your first wave, which is going to be Huskard, Mornfang, and Stonehorn. And then, not too dissimilarly, the follow-up is the Uralbad, which is a Huskard, Mornfang, and Stonehorn combination. But these are the guys that are in charge of securing the meat, securing whatever that they're going to be eating. So this is the second wave. Right. And so we your, see your this. Frostlord is your number one. He's at your top. Yep. And his number two will be the Husguard in charge of the Jorobad, the fighting hand. His number three will be in charge of the Eurobad. You said the eating hand. Yep. Okay. And they're that second wave securing everything after the Jorobad goes barreling through. Yeah. And these are not like guys that just stroll up and pick stuff up. These are the guys that are still 
hunting and killing the stuff that made it through the first wave. So these guys are not just the ones that sit back on the laurels. Right. They still have to work. And the interesting thing for me is that they have to – they get picked by the Huskards. They're not always in whatever hand they're in. They get picked by the Huskard at different times. So you're not stuck. It's a what have you done for the tribe lately. Whoever did best in the previous raid is number two. Whoever did next best is going to get named number three. So prove yourself and you keep your position. Prove yourself better, you can take away somebody's position. Mm Mm-hmm. So... And it's not like you can challenge them for the fights. The Frost Lord is the guy in charge. You can challenge him. The other guys, he just puts in these jobs. Right. Yeah. Whoever did the best job, then you're getting this position. Um, then the third column here is the Torbad. Uh, that's led by a, not by a Huskard, but a Huskard Tor. And he's the spiritual leader. Um, now, he actually does get the job for life. Yes. Um. Uh, most of the Thunder Tusks are here because the other guys ride on stone horns. The Thunder Tusks are here. Um, and the, the Torbad freezes the enemies. He draws, and because of all the Thunder Tusks and the Frost, this is the guy who draws towards him. The Like the Yetis come towards the Torbad and those sections. Which I guess yeah. is why if you have a the Hostguard Tor on the on the Thunder Tusk as your Leader, isn't that what you said? Opens up the Yetis. Yeah, Frost Lord on a Thunder Tusk. You can get Yetis as battle line. Right. But the big thing for these guys is that the Torbat is the embodiment of the storm. It's their spiritual connection to Everwinter. It's the preservation aspect, and then the harnessing the Everwinter. So it's not just this cursor thing. They have figured out how to use it to help them. Yeah. And that's what the Torbat is. And then you got the final one, which is the, really the shortest one, and it's just the skull. And that's that's the hunters and the frost sabers. And those guys are like your scouts. They're out there searching out the next place to hunt. They're important. They're the tiniest group. They're off on their own. And the frost lord really doesn't tell them much what to do. He trusts them to do their job and to find the best place of food. Right. So they're just out there doing their job. They're out there, okay, we found the food, let's go this way. And he's like, okay, good job. And that's their gig, man. Um, but they're also there, and we're going we're gonna to talk more about them later, but that's not their only job. But they are sort of, no. they're out, sort of on the outskirts. When, when all of your attention is being attracted to the giant stone horns and the huge um, beast, um, the, what do you, why am I blanking on the, the, the word? Mornfang. Mornfang, sorry. Um, when that's drawing all your attention, if you turn to run, when you turn around and start running, those are the guys who are going to be standing behind you. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're still fighting and attacking, that's all that's going on. But when you when your back is turned and you're not expecting anything and you turn to run, you're not getting away because these guys have already scouted it out and they know where your escape route is. And they're there waiting for you. I think it's pretty cool. Yeah. They don't get a lot of respect, like even when the Hunter and Saber Tusks first came out. With ogres, I don't think they got a lot of love. I used them frequently, but I played ogres very weird. Story wise, I these, like them though. Yes, these guys 
I like them more than the other ones. Yeah, and so. we'll get to them when we get to their story because they, there's a, there's some cool stuff with them. Once again, lore wise, there's some cool stuff with them. Um, you know, book wise, here you get the marks of the beast clause where it talks about all the different symbols and what they mean. So if you want to do tattoos. On there, mm-hmm. it shows what the different things mean. There's like 19 different important words um, and uh, symbols for Stonehorn and Thunder Tusk and Mournfang as well. Um, they talk about the different All Frostens of the Eight Realms. Yeah, this for me was where the identity really came into it. Yeah, this. For each one of these, this added that element that I think was missing up until now beyond the. Fight, eat, move, repeat. Fight, eat, move, repeat. Fight, eat, move, repeat. Because so. the interesting thing is that storm follows them no matter where. Even if you're in, um, you know, even if you're in, you know, running. Akshi? Yeah, even if you're running through Akshi. Like, that I that storm is still coming. Like, it, it, it is a magical storm. It bows to no heat. Mm-hmm. Um, but they will be slightly different if they stay in certain realms for a long time. Anyone that stood out to you that you really enjoyed the most? I don't want to go through and just read all eight of them. You know, I mean, no, um, the first one that stood out to me was the Vinterbad. Now these guys are like a cool tribe and they serve in the armies of Archeon and they often bear icons of chaos. And it's noted that they're ever winter, convulses with shadows of things best not dwelt upon so it's almost like chaos infected their everwinter they armor up closer to chaos warriors and their different armies but they're still loyal to gorka morka yes. they're still attracted to the destruction and all the benefits that come with fighting for chaos because you still get your meal but these guys are it's a very interesting concept that you could do for an army. Yeah. Um, I thought some of the other interesting... I like the Freya raid. Mm-hmm. Uh, rides across the Scarlands, eternally cloaked in a freezing fog. They're like ghosts against its perpetual white, killing, feeding, and vanishing. And I like the purple one, uh, the Arioth raid. It's been infected with the furious energies of Godrax Wah. Uh, it's Frost Lord Hrothgar and its Ogre warriors have a touch of Uruk madness in their eyes. Not that much to modeling or anything like that, but it's like, oh, wait a minute, that's kind of that's kind of cool. Like, <laughs> yeah, they, absolutely, a little more orky. Like that's what they need. That's really what they need. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I, I thought that was pretty cool. Um, let's go through all the painting ideas and that. And now we're coming on to where they talk about the different, they give the lore behind the different, uh, characters and unit entries. Right. And this stuff, they've got some pretty interesting factoids in here. I'd like to talk a little bit about some of them. Sure. Um, first of all, to become a frost Lord, you have to go through the right of Hawkgar. Um, and so you you not first of all to become a frost lord, not you got to be a veteran hunter, not a hunter hunter, but just I mean you know a ogre hunting. Um, w- have wandered the realms for centuries. So once again, these guys are very long lived. 
<laughs> if you have to live and have fought and have veteran status for centuries to even think about being a Frost Lord. Um, you don't just need to be huge. You have to have a strong presence, a booming voice. Now, this is interesting. So if your Frost Lord is killed or dies of old age or whatever, whoever wants to be a Frost Lord, uh, you would just expect that they would be challenged and it would be a big Olgor fight. Which Remember the Olgor pit fights and the little pictures you'd see in the old books? Mm-hmm. Nope. You go out into the wild and you come back with prey that you killed and dragged back to offer his meat to the tribe. Now, obviously, you want it to be biggest and most impressive. But what happens is you come back with this and you offer meat to the tribe. The person who has the most acceptors, like if you accept, like let's say three guys go out. The three all come back with their with their catch. Then the tribe goes and decides who to accept meat from. Whoever gets the most of the tribe to accept their prize of meat, they win. They become the Frost Lord. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting thing. It's all, it's literally it's like a vote, but it's a vote by how good of a how good of a catch did you bring back, and how much are you willing to risk for your tribe? Yes, that was the way I interpreted it. It was if you're willing to stick your neck out for us, so this way we can eat, we will follow you and trust you because you've proven that you can provide, and you're willing to do what you have to do. And obviously the bigger and tougher thing you kill, the more meat there is so you can feed more. It's a more impressive kill to prove your strength. I mean, it's all around a better thing to bring something bigger back. You've mm-hmm. provided for more of your tr- – it's just – it's it's a cool concept other than I'm just going to fight you and the guy who wins the fight wins. Um, also the Frost Spears. I thought this was cool. That they actually incorporated something. They took like a generic weapon, but they actually made it something – yeah. Instead of nothing. Now you can and okay. Oh, go, go ahead, go. Yeah. Um they are weapons that are either hammered together or melted together or whatever. But what it really is is that it's a lance blessed by the blood of Thunder Tusks and the breath of Gorka Morka. And when a Frostlord claims leadership, he either takes up the spear of his predecessor or crafting his own. Which then becomes his badge of rank. Yep. And when they talk about it in battle, it says the spear not only punches through armor and flesh, but it also carries a killing cold, as if the Enterwinter itself were caged within its wickedly barbed head. So they took something that they could have just left as a basic mundane thing, but they gave it an identity, and that he also like channels the storm with him when he goes into battle. It reminds you a little bit of the Yeti weapons, too. Yeah, the ice weapons. Right, because they're just these these weird creatures that are connected to that Everwinter, and this is his connection to it as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like that you could take like, if if the if the old guy if the old leader dies or is killed or something like that, you could take his weapon. But if you a if he gets killed really horribly, maybe you don't want his weapon. Or b if you are starting a new tribe, which is I suppose possible. Mm-hmm. Then you craft your own weapon. It was just a cool little bit of lore that went to this. And like you said, they made it something special. You know, um, you know, it's got to be it's got to be blessed in the blood of a thunder tusk. And, a, and as we find out later, the thunder tusk, it's that cold frost aura around it. So that blood is in it and Gorka Morka's breath is on it. It's just awesome. So then we get to the next section, which is Jural Bads and Ural Bads. So it's sort of breaking down the their 
So it's, it's weird. It breaks down that branch of the army and then sort of talks about the different Huskarls and things that that go underneath it. Um, like I said, the Joral Bad is cool because it, it's a smash your enemies and keep moving. Find the big thing. Break the big thing. Keep going. All right? Um, and then, but they don't really stick around. They smash and they keep, you know, it kind of reminds you of the old, uh, you know, what you think about when, uh, when you have a, a group of, uh, cavalry charge. Yeah. And when the cavalry charge, and if it, if it accidentally goes too far and then it sort of loses a bit of steam and then, Ooh, now we can surround them and get them. Mm-hmm. The Joral bad does that. Now, good luck surrounding and, and getting them, but whatever. But when you think they've passed you up and they've gone too far, and now you're going to surround them and get them, and that's that fighting hand that smashes in. And now you're like, oh, they've passed us. All right, oh, look, they're deep in territory. Let's all surround them and get them. You start to surround them, and then comes the Euro bad. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that's, like you said, mopping up, cleaning up. Or maybe they went through and smashed all the guys in the outside and left the fortress standing. Yeah. These guys are also the outflankers, and there's like competition between the Huskards of the Yorlbad and the Earlbad because they're trying to prove themselves. Yep. Which, and they talk about how it's constantly like a game of one-upsmanship, and I thought this was very similar to the Beast or the Bone Split is with the Brutal Ruck and the Cunning Rucks. Uh huh. Because it's basically the same thing. It's a boss, and then units of guys picked into that particular formation. So it's very much that king of the heap type mentality where they have to keep going, they have to keep performing and sort it, of thing that we see with the destruction armies. And it's interesting that it all falls under that, that Gorka Morka. There's always the two sides, the two parts. Um, there's a big influence by of their god in the way that their entire society is set up. I, I like mm-hmm. that, that, that this runs through this. Um, yeah. Then they describe the stone horns and the Mornfangs. And there was stuff I didn't... Okay, so their skeletons and tusks are actually granite and gemstone. Yeah. they The previous uh, incarnations that we've seen of stone horns, when they first came out, they talk about how they kind of bury their heads into the sides of mountains, eating the rock when they can't find anything else to eat. And then the bits of gems and stuff stay in their guts or get lodged in their teeth and horns and everything and when they died they would like crust over not like ice but like of stone they would get petrified right so in this new incarnation they actually their skeletons are made of stone yeah so they can so when you go through the battle and they smash through the walls of your dread hold or your keep and the ogres are eating all the people you don't have to worry about feeding your animals they're going to eat the keep. Yeah. They don't they actually don't eat meat. It literally says in the book they do not eat meat. They eat minerals, metals and rare stones. So as you're sitting there and stripping the weapons and stuff off your meat to get ready to eat, you're tossing a pile of of blades there that you don't want and uh, that's a pile of food for Fido. Mhm. That's 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 brilliant, and that explains why there's literally nothing left behind when you go. There is nothing there. It's not like when other people run through, and you can come back, and you can start over, and you can rebuild. There's nothing. That's uh, that's kind of brilliant. You know, for a book that doesn't explain exactly where they come from and leaves you wanting in certain parts, 
the cool bits of Lauren here are really cool. And I don't remember. I mean, I listen to other podcasts. How come I didn't hear anybody talking about this stuff? Now, of course, somebody talked about it, and I missed that episode, and now they're mad at me. But whatever. Excuse me. I don't remember hearing about this cool stuff. Um, I don't either. Okay, good. So you missed it too. The other thing is, as you talked about, when they die, if these things don't move, if they sit still for too long, their bones will fuse together. The stone will fuse to the stone. And then if they mm-hmm. can't move, then actually their skin will, the stone will start to come and crust over their skin. And then you need ogres to come and chip that away and sort of break, almost breaking rigor on them. Yeah. You need someone big, strong ogres to sit there and bend their limbs and crack those bones apart again, free, so that they can go. So it's like the frost that covers all the beast claws, except these guys have a double danger. We can get frozen, but if we don't get frozen and we sit too long, we're going to turn to stone anyway. It's that extra motivation to keep moving. And with the Mornfang, the next thing, they don't eat very often. They can go weeks while still carrying their rider on the back without food. So they can keep going for a long time, but eventually they become so rabid that they need to eat. Oh, and that's... I love... I love them. Okay. Okay. Mornfang are tough and ornery, and we all know that. They've already explained that, okay? They can go weeks without eating, but that just gets them angrier and more more vicious. They don't get weaker when they're starving. They actually kind of get tougher because they're desperate for food. Mm-hmm. What I love is that they're blind as a bat. Yeah, they cannot see. There's, there's. It says they're so, they're so nearsighted or whatever. Is they can't see past their tusks very well. So they can only see just up to about their tusk, which makes them even more foul-tempered because stuff pops up in front of them and surprises them. But it makes them great for charging with because you just charge them forward and they trust their riders because their riders treat them like a wep, like they're like wep, like they don't. It talks about how if they were starving, they might actually eat them, but it would be uh, uh, they would have to be super desperate to eat the Mornfang because they, they they're like their favorite weapon and they're almost like pets. Yeah, um, but. You can charge forward with them into big stuff and smash into it, no matter how big and scary it is, because they don't see it. They're never going to come up. It's like, you know, like when when you have, you know, your dog will run out and, and go after, like, whatever's in the backyard. But if it's big and scary, the dog would stop and go burr, 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 and run back. You'll never see a Mornfang even hesitate because it doesn't even see when it's charging until it hits it. So it'll run full speed into anything. Mm-hmm. I love this. I really really love this um and then they talk about how they grow them up in the little whelping pits yeah this is i like this you got this one no okay. no i was gonna say i find it funny that we get more excited about the creatures than the actual guys on top of them well i mean the guys on top we kind of understand and their abilities are cool but i never knew anything about these creatures yeah because I mean, they just kind of created them yeah, I mean, even when, I mean, okay, they, yes, they've always been there. You know, we read the last the last ogre book came out, and they were there. Yes, they were always there. We just didn't know about them. Blah blah blah. I get that. Uh, but even when it came out, they didn't tell us much about them in those other mm-hmm. books. And now they are telling us the stuff, and the stuff they're telling me is actually really interesting. Uh, yeah. So they grow them in whelping pits when they do have time. When the when the when the Mornfang breed, and I don't even want to think about that. They have these little Mornfang babies, right? And so mm-hmm. this is I, this is one of the things that shows that you can stay still for some time, right? 
They dig right. a huge hole, a huge pit. They throw them all in there with, you know, meat and 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 some some prisoners and stuff like that, some live meat, and um, and they they're in there. And they they eat whatever's in there and they fight amongst each other. And then as the food runs out, they start to fight amongst each other. And they might leave. They'll go off. They'll do a hunt. They'll come back. They'll find these. Uh, they'll they'll come back to their to their. To the to the whelping pit, and only the strongest have survived. Like they'll leave them in there until cannibalism becomes a thing, and they start eating each other. Then they pull out the toughest, and the Frost Lord checks them out. Checks out the big and tough ones. He extends two hands. One is full of meat. One is empty. The ones who attack and bite the empty hand, they become Mornfang Cav. Because they're tough and they're angry and they're not looking for a handout. They're looking to kill the thing that left him in the pit. The ones who go after the meat hand are still too soft and so they're given over to the butchers to be put in the dinner pot. Mm -hmm. Which seems like the exact opposite of what everybody else would think. But they want the rabid angry ones. (laughs) Yeah. It's just fantastic. It's It's really, I'm like, okay, I like this. I'm going with this. I'm sticking with this. This is good. Um, you know what? Uh, it really break. is time. It really is time for another break. So let's do that. Let's break, and when we come back, we'll finish off with the Torbads and the Skulls, and then we'll start getting into the into the the stats and things like that. So, absolutely. All right, we'll be back in a minute. Icebrow Hunter Ragnar. Ragnar has walked many of the mortal realms. He has led hunts and tracked prey across the scorched Acherite wastelands of Akshi, into the cinder-bright highlands of Shaman, and down through the Ikor wells in Ulgu's maelstrom of gloom. In his travels, Ragnar has slain countless breeds of beasts, and he knows hundreds of creatures by their smell alone. Ragnar carries tokens of each of the realms he has visited, and skulls, weapon shards, and other hunter's trophies hang from his furs. Ragnar has an uncanny nose for prey. Long before he sets eyes on a creature, he'll know if it's old or young, sick or hale, and even how much meat it might have on its bones. His tribe says his senses are so sharp, he can even smell realm gates by the stench of sorcery that hangs upon them. Whether this is true or not, Ragnar seems to sense things the other ice brows of the tribe do not, picking up trails and leading his ogre kin to feeding grounds with uncanny certainty. Bragath places great stock in Ragnar, and the ice brow often takes point in the Alfrosten's long journeys. And we are back talking Torbad skulls and beast claws in battle. Oh yeah! So, okay, the Torbad is pretty cool. Uh, the Husband Chi. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. I'm an idiot. All right, so I'm just going to read this part right off of here because I started writing it down. I'm like, I realize I'm writing down the whole first paragraph. So, the Huskar yeah. Tor, um, you know, as we already said, is the guy. He's like the spiritual leader, the guy who talks to the winds. And uh, so I'm reading this. Here we go. The Huskard Tor leads the Torbad, the Thunder Tusk Riders of the clan. 
He's a mysterious figure that can read the winds and can see the will of Gorkamorka in the frost. To the other members of the tribe, he is not completely of this world, his soul having been frozen by his connection to the Everwinter. He goes by numerous names, including the Voice of Thunder, Frostborn, or the Blizzard Speaker. Not the Horse Whisperer, the Blizzard Speaker. He seldom makes an utterance, but when he does, he speaks with the voice of winter. His freezing words are like the keening gales of the Everwinter, each one cutting and cold. So the Everwinter actually chooses. The storm itself chooses the Huskar Tor. When his predecessor dies, the storms and thunder tusks accept him as their voice with howling winds and baying roars. And now the Frost Lord actually gives the title out, says you're going to be it, but the Frost Lord almost without exception, goes with who the storm picks. Because, once again, don't upset the storm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're, you're chosen for life. And, uh, and on the rare instance that a Huskar Tor becomes the leader of the Alfrosten, then that turns into a Svarthig, Svarthigan, Svarthigan, S-V-A-R-T-H-E-G-N, Svarthigan, or the Ice Wind Raid. So I thought it was interesting because they did mention that the Frost Lord could ride either a thunder, a thunder tusk or a stone horn, but they did pretty much make it sound like the the Yorlbad and the Earlbad are pretty much stone horns. Stone horns are what these guys ride. Uh, the Frost Lord can ride a thunder tusk, but the thunder tusk riders are pretty much the the seem to be fall into this into the Torbad. Section, yeah, and they mention with the Frost Lord is that he can like choose between his mounts, whatever he thinks would be best because a good hunter knows the correct tool for the job, right? As it were, but I think it's cooler in boom, boom chi. In my <laughs> perspective, to have it be the Blizzard Speaker is now kind of the Frost Lord and taken over. So that spiritual thing, where like a great Bray Shaman may take over a tribe, or like a Wurzak Prophet for the Bone Splitters, that sort of thing. Right. So if you're playing it by the lore, you're generally going to have ma- a Frost Lord on either, but then you're going to have your Husguard from the Jorlbad and the Earlbad on Stonehorns, and yep. possibly your Torbad, uh, and then your Torbad um, or your Husguard Tor will be on a Thunder Tusk as well. So the three Tusk, three Thunder Tusks, and a Stonehorn. Um, that you see uh, a lot of times uh, in the in the in the game when people are playing when they're playing at hardcore is not lo- necessary. I mean, you can you can do it in lore saying that you know that your 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 army is torbad heavy, but from the looks of the game, it's you, you, you know that's the third link. You would have a lot more stone horns than thunder tusks. It seems that way, yeah. Lore-wise, it, it's what it seems like. Um, not that Stonehorns are that bad. They don't divvy out that damage, but just rounding everything down by half for mortal and normal wounds, that's pretty yeah, good, just, too. Yeah. Um, but the Torbad is, like, their connection to the storm. Yes. So this is where all the ice stuff comes in. All of the Huskard Tors can kind of manipulate the storm to help allies to heal them to make them even more ferocious and then to maximize the damage output of the flying snowballs of the thunder tusks throw so 
What else is interesting is just their idea that nobody knows where Thunder Tusk came from. Apparently, there was just stone horns, and then the Thunder Tusk came. I do like their idea is that when when Gorkamorka was climbing up to the highest point in all of the realms so that he could howl at everything he saw, as he got higher and it got colder, frost started to grow on his fingers and his knuckles. And as these giant shards of frost built up and these cold chunks built up on him, as he broke them off and sloughed them off, they fell down to the to the realms and they were thunder tusks. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a silly sort of story, but I'm like, okay, that in their in their version of things that makes sense that these are living chunks of ice come off of the god himself, right? Um, now I do like that they send out the waves of frost and ice. I do like how they talk about how the power grows exponentially with more of them. Mm-hmm. That if you have them around you, the storm gets like the more thunder tusks in your army, the crazier the storm gets. Which I suppose would be far more dangerous to you. I mean, yeah, granted, it'll wipe out what's in front of you, but it seems almost more dangerous to have too many. Like, is it powerful? Yes. It talks about how they can freeze the walls of fortresses and make them brittle so it's easier to smash. They can freeze rivers and safely cross them. Um, but we already talked about how, you know, that storm could also ride through and freeze everything before you get there and make it so it's not good to eat. Um, it, you know, they talked about how the storm is your friend or your foe, making the storm too powerful. Uh, yes, your 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 Husqvarna Tor can speak to the storm, but it doesn't necessarily control the storm as that much. You know, no. So having too many thunder tusks, it, it, it can be super powerful, and it becomes a, a, a you know, it's a huge boon to those who who worship the storm and and, and want to use it. But it seems like a double edged sword. It's too much of a good thing. Oh yeah. So, again, the same kind of image that they've had with the eat, hunt, kill, eat, hunt, kill, eat, hunt, kill. It's too much of a good thing. Very much so. Yeah. Um, I do like the Yeti talk here a little bit. They 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 have those cursed, the frost-cursed weapons, which freezes the blood of their enemies in their veins when they wound them with them. So they just freeze up, make them an easy kill. Um, reminds me of the frost spear. Um, I love the discussion. They stalk in silence. They come out of like sort of the storm, and then they come in the kill, and they they fade back into the storm. Mm-hmm. Um, the part that they're not really a part of the Ogor race or armies is really cool too. They just they're they're part of the storm. They're beasts that live in and are part of the storm. Yeah, the beast claws view them as messengers of Gorkamorka, so they allow them to participate when. The Yeti was first introduced, they formed up in units called Avalanches, and that was no joke what their unit was called, but it was, they were just kind of there, and they kind of came down to the Ogre Kingdoms when they were called for, but this is creating much more of an identity to them, besides they're the Bumbles on the High Peaks. (laughs) They almost remind me of um, the White Walkers. Yes. In in Game of Thrones. Not the undead stuff, but the actual White Walker guys who can just freeze the, and they just like and they're si- and they come in and they're they're scary as heck. Um mm-hmm. I love how the Huskar Tor can speak to, he can he knows the language of the storm, so he knows their language. And he's the only one that can communicate with them. Yes, and he does. And that's just once again, 
what a great li- I mean, they literally have half a column on one page. Mm-hmm. And it's great. I want, it, it, I mean, you know, I, I know you say I always leave them wanting more, but I, I wish I could get a little more. Like, yeah, there's, you know, honestly, I'm reading this. It makes me want to play this army. And Kira's got enough stuff that, that you know, do, between dude, you know, we got the army from the center tour and then, and then Cranky sent her a bunch of his stuff he wasn't using. I mean, I think she's got, if we build them all, she's going to have like four, she's got four or five boxes of Stonehorn Thunder Tusks here. And she's got at least half a dozen Mornfang Cav. I've got three or four Yeti models still in blister bu- blisters. I mean, she could literally just play this if she wanted to. Um, totally good. She would have fun with it, too, because I know she would just be like, I get to do what? Just smash? All right. Um, mm-hmm. But it's, it's a really cool concept. I, I, wish, I wish it worked better on the table. And, I suppose it does, and I, I hate. Oh, I'm such a I'm such a bad lore master uh, because you could totally just play this if you want to play an open game or a narrative game and just put a lot of this stuff down on the table. But everyone's so afraid of being that unintentional jerk store who brings all this stuff. And says, Let's just play because I want to play this cool themey thing, and then you your your friend brings something you don't know what to put it against, and you you know well, there was this big discussion going on in, on a group I was talking with and it was actually even something on the TGA forums where people were talking about the differences between playing the different types of games and how you know some people hate the points because everyone has to play points but it's like even when I play something like this where I'm like dude I want to take a ton of this stuff and play out this story this type of an army you know play out one of these huge things you still want your opponent to have something similar so it's like okay I'll figure out how many points it is and then you just bring that like you still mm-hmm. want to do that. You know what I'm saying? You want that semblance of balance so it's an enjoyable experience for everybody. Exactly. Unless that other person is going in knowing exactly what they're walking into. Right. But even then, you still want that semblance of this is going to be still somewhat competitive. And like not so much competitive, but so much like it's an enjoyable experience and we're about the same. Not one right. has a distinct advantage. And that's the thing. Like I don't always necessarily – Want to play like you know everyone? Oh, you want to play two thousand? Want to play two thousand? You know, a lot of times I'll be like, dude, just tell me what you're bringing. You know, like if you want to, like, like if you wanted to bring all of your whatever it was, like you set up your moon clan. You know, I know you've got a lot of grots. Only like two hundred. Okay, well, that's actually not as many points as I guess I would think. But if you wanted to pull out a whole just bunch of grots and all their little stuff and say, look, I want to throw it all on the table. I'd be like, cool, just figure out how many points it is and tell me and I'll bring up something similar. I love those kind of games where it's not we're playing to a set points. It's we're playing to someone picks an army that they want to theme and says, bring me something that is going to challenge it. And this army is really, I think this army really is more fit to something like that. Because you're not going to have a ton of models, you're not going to have a ton of stuff with all, you're grabbing and grabbing all these objectives. But find a good story. You might have to follow one of them in this book, which we're not going to talk too much about the the different uh, battle plan battle plans in the book, just because we want to kind of go through and and keep the show under four hours. Um, but you'd have to pick one of these sort of more tailored battle plans so you could do something like that. But I think as far as a narrative goes, that's one of my favorite ways to do it is to – and this this army really does play to that because if you're just playing at a certain points level, 
most people don't just want to play Beast Claw Raiders because you can't do things like grabbing objectives and following the basic missions in the General's Handbook. So, mm-hmm. but I, I digress. I'm sorry. Let's do this last group, the Scowls. Yeah, these are the Icebrow Hunters and the Frost Sabers, which are obviously saber tusks. They're the big saber tooth tigers. Yep. Um, these guys are the ones that scout. And do you want to take this first paragraph under Scowls? Because this yeah. is. This is something that I thought was great, too. Like, this first paragraph really, uh, a lot of these lays it out. This one was great. Yeah. All right. So, ranging out ahead of the raid, the Icebrow Hunters seek the Alfrostons' next prey. They are master trackers and pathfinders and beat a trail to beasts and rich raiding targets. Always on the move. Their loyal Frost Sabers race ahead of them as the eternal winter of the tribe darkens the skies behind. Yeah, uh, that's pretty. Uh, I that, actually meant that, the first paragraph, not the intro. Oh, cool. Keep going. All right. Uh, there are a few scouts as skilled as the Icebrow Hunters. They can travel as fast on foot as the rest of the trade. Rest of the raid travels on Mornfang, Stonehorn, and Thundertusk, picking their way through tangled wilds at a loping run. Often the hunters will journey far ahead of the rest of their clan, seeking out prey for the Alfrostan. Many times, an Icebrow Hunter's appraising glare heralded the doom of a kingdom. Some lone hunters have even mastered the paths between the worlds while hunting while hunting prey. These realms walkers can read the magic of realm gates as a sailor might see a storm brewing in the dawn sky and know when the best crossing can be made for a raid. Okay, first of all, they run as fast as Mornfang. I don't yeah, think the rules give them that quick. movement, but that's no. just uh, they should that they should. I would love that. That would make them awesome. These guys only move six inches, and the uh, the 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 Mornfang can move nine. These guys should move nine. They, yeah. they, it says in the book they can move just as fast. That would be that would make them so cool. <laughs> just like what they do, what? Um, mm-hmm. but I love this. I love that these guys are out there in the front. That they're that fast. That they're that crazy. That they move through, and then the little bits of stuff in here that they tell us about is nuts. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they talk about these. First of all, they come realm. What do they call them? Realms walkers. Realms walkers. So they not only know where the realm gates are, but they can stare into them and see when it's best to cross through for a raid. Like what they can just see through them or something, or they can tell. Like how does that even work? Like I think it's an innate thing that Gorkamarka has given them. It's kind of cool, though, ain't it? It is very cool. It is ice cool. That's okay. We need a different word than cool. Um. That's something what I would love to do, like, if we were playing with Realm Gates, mm-hmm. like, like maybe increase the their ability to traverse the Realm Gates if we were playing with that. Just throw in a rule for that. You know, cause there's yeah, no if these way- guys had, like, the priest keyword, then they could do it, but I don't think they do. No. So, well, what are you going to do? It's just, I like, I like that idea, that if they had something that they could do... No, and they don't. You're right. Destruction Ogre, Beast Claw Raider, Hero, and Ice Brow Hunter. Um, then they start to talk about the Frost Savers. Talk about a unit that that could use a little boost game-wise because story-wise, okay, they're raised by the Hunters. They would give their lives for the Hunters. They are creatures of winter, and they don't give off heat. They're cold-blooded, okay? Their bodies don't give off heat, so... 
most things that look for heat signatures in the or, or recognize things when heat you know differences in heat won't find the frost savers. They their breaths don't mist in the cold. So you would say that they would be cold as ice, and they are willing to sacrifice. <laughs> yes, yes, I would. I would absolutely say that. Um, we absolutely went on a journey there, didn't we? Yes, that is that. Or is that that, that was a little foreign, wasn't it? Yes, yes. That that's oh. a, that's a foreign concept. Not a, not. But they do go on journeys, but not that type of a journey. Um. <sighs> I love that the, the hunters will use their blood, actually, will bleed them a bit and make potions out of it. Little tiny sips will cool their own body heat to make them less visible to predators. And in the picture on page 42, you can see what happens when they take a big draft of it. They can literally take a big draft of it and breathe out a magical blizzard freezing their enemies. They can drink this stuff. Do cool. you, you ever, do you ever drink like a like? A, no, I'm not talking brain freeze, but do you ever drink like a like a icy or something too quick, and then your throat like freezes up and hurts real bad? Mm-hmm. There you go. That's what they, they breathe it out, and then they freeze everything in front of them. That's crazy. It's kinda, that's it. Gave them a little more character than what they had coming in. And it's this little nugget that then translates into something gameplay, which is something that they've been doing, and they've been doing very, very well. And that's, like I said, it's the, it's these little things in the story that hooked me. We don't, there's still a, a creature that don't seem to, that, you know, they don't, they don't keep books of lore. They don't seem to pass stories on all that much. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they don't. They don't create anything. They just destroy. So it's hard to get a long history of these guys or anything that goes into real depths. But they did a nice job, at the very least, of giving us some interesting tidbits about the different creatures and and uh, that make up their that make up this 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 group, this army. Mm-hmm. So that I enjoyed at least. So that's everything, really. Uh, after that, we go into there's there's a couple of stories for the battle plans. Um, we're not going to go into them right now, only because, like I said, um, th- I mean they're decent stories, but it's pretty much a lot of the same thing. It's a lot of killing and fighting and eating um, and ambushing. Yeah, and yeah, okay. a lot of ambushing. Right. So you know, if you want to add ambush to the to the stuff we've said so far, you already know those stories. So, why don't we jump into the uh, some of the more uh, well, their, their allegiance abilities and their magical artifacts are actually kind of cool. Yeah, the gamey gamey stuff. Yeah. So let's talk about gamey gamey stuff. Um, when we talk about this, I can guarantee you that most people are not going to know what we're talking about because, because nobody takes this because they take a destruction. Don't list. see this army. Because they made the Destruction Grand Alliance too automatic, I think, because of the movement. And being able to have the whole army move even quicker. Now, there is a movement component to these guys, but it's not like the Destruction. There's three things in that list that I think make it appealing. Movement, Battle Mm -hmm. Brew, and the fact that you can take a lot of grots and add stuff to throw... 
lots of numbers onto objectives to hold things. Yeah. Um, and granted, Grotz, if you got a good strong army, will will pop. But mm-hmm. it's better than trying to fit a couple of stone horns and a thunder tusk and then some beast claw raiders. And as you pointed out, you have almost a two thousand point army with eight. Uh, what not beast claw? Uh, eight Morn Fang and a Stonehorn and a Thunder Tusk, you're getting close to 2,000 points. Yeah, in G- 10 models. Yeah, good luck holding objectives and doing things like that uh, with that few models. Right. You, you can't lose anything at that point. Uh, by taking a Destruction Army, you can you can add the chaff that this army sorely lacks. But there's some cool stuff. There is. They do a lot of very... And these guys are definitely a charge-first mentality and most of their rules that we'll talk about they want you to charge and that's just fine well that's the so, battle trait yeah on the um, turn you so, charge re-roll yeah. re-roll wounds of one for all beast claw raider models um you know it's it's good it's not re-rolling all wounds but re-rolling wounds of one when you charge it's a re-roll which is better than nothing yep. so they have that and then the Everwinter's Blessing is the other part of their battle trait that, um, where we talked about earlier, where they use the storm, they can kind of take advantage of it and gain benefits from it. So essentially what you do is at the start of your hero phases, you roll a d6, and you get to find out exactly what the blessing is for that particular battle round. And this lasts until your next hero phase. And they're all good. It's not like if you roll a one, you get screwed. No, these are all good options um so for one to two you get the Horfrost, which is you get to re-roll save rolls of one for all beast claw raiders until the start of your next hero phase so these guys need to survive because they don't have a lot of model count now you have a little extra nugget in order to keep them around longer it's re-roll ones but it's again better than nothing well considering that well okay the, uh, the cavalry, the worst save is a four. So re-rolling ones isn't bad, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, you can, you, you know, you can do a lot worse. Basically, everything except the Frost Lord is a four. Frost Lord's a three. Everyone else on any sort of cav is a four. Or worse, you get to, like, the Yetis and the Cats and the Hunter. Yeah, the hunters got a five, oh. and the yetis and the cats have sixes. They could really use ones, but I mean, nobody expects the yetis and the cats to live that long anyway. That's the you know, that's part of the problem. With, yeah, and with that's them. part of their job. They're definitely more of the kill the light stuff. Um, yeah. So after that, we have the freezing tailwinds. This one is really good because it isn't dependent on proximity to character. All friendly beast claw raiders can move three inches immediately. As if it were the movement phase, and they cannot run or retreat as a part of this move. It's a tailwind. So, You're moving forward. You're not backing up. But yeah, get an extra three inches. Yeah, and when we talk about some of the other things that they get to do, that three inches makes a huge difference, especially for setting up charges and getting across the table, so, so you're not getting shot up on your way in. Um, these next two are great. are great if you're in combat. So this is on turn one. They're not that great. Once you get into the second or third turn, these are fantastic. Yeah. So the first one is frostbite, which is you roll a dice 
for each enemy unit within three inches of at least one of your Beast Claw models, and on a six, that unit takes D3 mortal wounds. And the six is the same thing, except on a six, the unit suffers D6 mortal wounds. Now, granted, it's only on a six, which kind of sucks. But if your whole army is going to be engaged and your models are on big bases, and realistically, in order to try to take them down in combat, your opponent has to put as many models as they can into getting to them, you're going to get some chances to roll some sixes. And if you pop a character off with one of these, because they're the ones that are going to do the most of the damage, you can start to swing it just a little bit. Yeah. No, I, I like it. I like all of them. The quick move three inches, the re- nah, the three-inch move, that's the middle of the road one. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's the three and the four, literally the middle of the road one. But the three-inch move is helpful, but that's just it helps right there and then it's done. The odds are hitting, you know, you get a nice streak of sixes and boom, suddenly you've, you've wiped out a, a bunch of extra models. Uh, that one and two, that save rolls of one. I mean, all of this, it's just like, okay, this works. I like this. There's nothing in here that makes you think, oh, that's terrible. I, I wish I hadn't rolled that. Yeah. Um, so then do you want to go into the command traits for the generals? Sure. I mean, they're pretty simple. I mean, you know, you can pick them out. Plus one wound for your general. Well, I mean, you know, the command trait is for your general. So plus one wound for your general. Um, I, uh, I kind of like the re-rolling dice on the Everwinter Blessing. <laughs> yeah. So if you don't like your roll, you know, in the in, on the first turn, you roll a five or a six, you know, forget it. Let me try to re-roll that and get it at three, four. Mm-hmm. Um, plus eight inches to the range of any command ability your general uses uses is kind of good. Uh, re-roll hit rolls of one for your general's melee and missile weapons, not his mount. Re-roll wound rolls for your general when making attacks against monsters. And enemy units within three inches of your general minus one to their bravery. So, nothing that jumps off the page as, oh my god, that's awesome. Although, none of it is terribly bad. The big, the first three, the plus one wound... Reroll Everwinter and then eight inches on the command ability. I think those are the standouts for me. Yeah. So, but none of them are terrible. But so now no. we get to that, and then you've got magical artifacts. And unlike some of these, where and I, you know, I would. This is one of the things that made me wonder about in the uh, the General's Handbook 2017. Um, here they gave just bonuses to the heroes. Whereas in the newer books, the mounts or the vehicles have gotten bonuses as well. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if we might see some of that in the General's Handbook, maybe, to touch up to these guys. Pimp my Stonehorn. <laughs> you know, would you complain? You get one, uh, maybe a list for Stonehorn or a list for the Mornfangs or something? Or uh, a list for a Thunder Tusk. Or a Thunder Tusk. Well, I think the Stonehorn Thunder Tusk it might just follow in the same thing. Pick one of the two, you know? Yeah. But... Uh, so let's see. Uh, what do we get for magical artifact? I'll grab the first one here. Uh, that's the elixir of frostworm. In every shooting phase, you can drink from it. Then pick a unit with just nine within nine inches and roll a dice. So, if you if your hero has this in the shooting phase, pick a unit within nine inches and roll a dice. Uh, on a one, you take a mortal wound, and you cannot drink from it again for the rest of the battle. But two for th- on a two or three. The unit you just picked takes a mortal wound. On a four or five, they take D3 mortal wounds. And on a six, they take D6 mortal wounds. So, you know, if you don't have a lot of mortal wound output, you could do worse than this. 
Mm-hmm. For any hero. Yeah. Okay, you want to when we the- get to it, the army does have a lot of mortal wound output. This just adds to it. So it's, again, making the most out of models. Sure. Um, so when we get into it, you'll notice that none of the characters have the wizard keyword. So they can't dispel. The bleeding skull of Dragar lets them unbind as if they were a wizard once per enemy hero phase. So... That, cool, it's a little bit of magic defense built in. Number two is a good one. I'm, as a as as a Dwarden player, I like magic defense. Always have. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Uh, number three, the Pelt of Shangar. Uh, roll of the dice in the start of the hero phase. On a one, two, or three, the bearer of the Pelt heals a wound. On a four, five, or six, he heals D3 wounds. So you're healing all the time, no matter what. Mm-hmm. Uh, just the question of how much. So I like this. Yeah, it's a good one, especially for a stone horn. Yeah. Because if he heals D3 wounds, that's essentially healing like D6 wounds. Because, once again, you only take half. Yeah. Um, the Blade of All Frost says you pick one of the hero's melee weapons. You get to add plus one to the damage characteristic of the weapon. Um, so that makes a Frost Spear damage four, which is crazy. And then if the weapon wounds a hero or monster, that model cannot be selected to fight in the combat phase till all other units that can do so have fought. So earlier when we were talking about how it carries the Everwinter itself, when we were talking about Frost Spears, this is it right here. That's it. And it it slows them down, so they're fighting last. Dead last. If you've got other things fighting against them, they're just standing there taking all their hits. And taking all your hits from a from several uh, Beast Claw Raiders, that, that's that's a recipe to die right there. Very quickly. So I kind of like that one, although add one of the damage characteristic never did a lot for me. You know, I never it's never one that I, I pick out, you know, and I would probably honestly fall to that uh, unbinding a spell because or the healing, but this one I like. I like the idea of it. Uh, token of Everwinter. Once in the battle, you can swallow the tokens of Everwinter. If you do it until the start of your next hero phase, you can reroll all hit, wound, and save rolls. Yes, please. Yeah. And this also includes their mount. Yeah, it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't say nothing about your mount. It says, yeah, the bearer can swallow it. Yep. <sighs> These are all kind of good. Yeah. And the only thing that has anything even close to a, a negative effect is that elixir of the frostworm. Mm-hmm. But I'm just like, ugh. And then the Ice Mammoth Skull Plate. Take it away. This one, you get to reroll all save rolls against weapons that have a rend characteristic of dash, which is going to be most of the weapons you fight in the game. So instead of dying death of a thousand cuts, you get to try to keep your guy alive a little longer. I like these. I like them a yeah, lot. Yeah, they're all good. Yeah. But you don't ever see them. Because, no. again, Army is different in match play. Um, so do we want to jump into the battalions real quick? You know, it's time for a break. And then uh, that hopefully we can get through the battalions and that stuff. And then we'll do one last bit to get the, uh, the war scrolls. Get all the war scrolls. So we'll be back, folks.
Are you finally looking to start your rebasing project? Six Squared Studios. Are you looking for some new and interesting resin terrain? Six Squared Studios. Are you looking for some fancy acrylic counters to keep track of wounds or maybe some other statistical anomalies? Six Squared Studios. Maybe you need a new rack for your paint? Six Squared Studios. Well, then look no further. What you need is Six Squared Studios. They ship worldwide with domestic shipping for both the U.S. and Canada. Six Squared Studios. That's right. Six Squared Studios. That's the number six, squaredstudios.ca. When your gaming needs go beyond your basic dice, tape measure, models, and paints, think Six Squared Studios. Six Squared Studios. Now all your base are belong from them. And we are back with the battalions, formations of the Beast Claw Raiders, the Fighting Hand, the Hunting Hand, the Eating Hand, and lots of other hands. Now, I like how they lay out here the the basic setup. They, they have a Worst Girl Battalion for a Skull, a Torbad, a Eurobad, a Jorobad, and then you could put all of those together to do an Alfrosten. Mm-hmm. Um... And the bonuses, I guess, are there. I mean, if you really want to run an all frosted, because if you run an all frosted, then you have to run all those others. So all of these different war scroll battalions have effects for those models, don't they? Yeah. And so this is the big Russian nesting doll one. Yeah. Um, so again, this one is definitely narrative play because when we get through all these battalions, uh, if you just want to count along at home exactly how many behemoths you have to take. You'll understand why this is a narrative play only. Right. Because, okay, so let's let's start with, let's go to the end and start with the Skull. Let's go with the small one. The Skull has one to six Ice Bow Hunters and ten to two to ten units of Frost Sabers. How many units, uh, is Frost Saber a unit of one? Unit of two. Unit of two. So you have one to six Hunters and anywhere from four to twenty Frost Sabers. Uh, and then you look through this. Um, you can uh, set them up in ambush and set up frost savers on the side, and they're set up anywhere on the battlefield within 18 inches of the hunter, but not within nine inches of the enemy models. You know, so you can you can ambush them. So that's mm-hmm. cool. Okay. Then yeah. You, then you get a torbad, which is one huskard on thunder tusk, three to nine. Thunder Tusk Beast Riders. Is that... Wait a minute. Is that's that... accurate. Uh, no, a Thunder Tusk Beast Rider, that's a Thunder Tusk without a... Without a character. It's without with the a... two Ogors on the back of it. Okay. So right now, the Torbad has at least four Thunder Tusks. Yeah, it's between four and ten Thunder Tusks. Let's just say then... Four. Yeah, let's say four at the minimum. And then if you want to add some Yetis, you can add up to three units of Yetis. But you don't have to add any. Yeah, which are unit three plus. Um, The trick with this is that enemy models cannot retreat while they're within three inches of a Torbad unit, which is cool. Which is why you want to have the Yetis there to keep them out. They keep the stuff, you know, they can keep them nearby without actually having them in the combat and have them keep them from retreating. Right. 
Um, and then you roll a dice in each of your hero phases for each enemy unit within three inches of at least one of the Thunder Tusks. And you add one for each additional Thunder Tusk they're within three inches of. And on a six, the unit suffers a mortal wound. On a seven, it suffers D3. And on an eight or more, it suffers D6. So you'd need at least... It'd have to be all. You'd have to be at least three Thunder Tusks near it. And then you roll a six, and then would take D6 mortal wounds. On top of what the Thunder Tusks already do to it. If yeah. they're that close to you, you're already dead. Yeah. So this one I didn't particularly enjoy... Um, my personal favorite of all of these is the Earlbad, which is the feasting hand. Okay. So, so this is a Huskard on Stonehorn, one to three other Stonehorns, like just the generic ones, and then two to four Mornfang packs. And Mornfang uh, are in units of two as well. So Yeah, two plus, um, okay. and then up in increments of two. So with these guys, if you roll a wound roll of six or more in the combat phase, they do a mortal wound in addition to normal damage. Oh, boy. Yeah, so this is the good one. Um, and then the Huskard's melee weapons um, get plus one damage because he's always trying to prove his worth and crush the foes of the Alfrostan. Now, these guys get crazy when you combine the Mornfang's ability to do mortal wounds on the charge, the Stonehorn's ability to do mortal wounds on the charge, and with an iron fist in combat, you can do mortal wounds when you make a save. So these guys can do a lot of mortal wound output very, very quickly. That's pretty brutal. Yes, it is. All right. So then, um, the exact, actually, the exact same. Your Eurobad, you can just call it a Jorobad because it's literally got the exact same makeup. Uh, as far mm-hmm. as what you got, who's going to Stonehorn? One to three more Stonehorns. Stonehorns. And two to four more in fang packs. So those of you keeping track at home, I've got an ice brow hunter. I've got I'm going minimum. I have an ice brow hunter. I have two units of frost savers. I have one Huskard on a Thunder Tusk and three more generic Thunder Tusks. I've got some Yetis because I want them. So that's four Thunder Tusks. I now have four Stonehorns as well, minimum. Two of which are characters. Two of which are characters. And minimum four units of Mornfang. Oh, that's insane. So in the Jorobad, it's different. Um, Jorobad units can run and charge in the same turn. And uh, the Huskard Joral can reroll failed Battleshock test. Okay. You can reroll friendly Battleshock test for friendly Beast Crawl Raider units within 12 inches of the Jorobad's. Huskard. So any Beast Claw Raider models within 12 inches of the Huskard can reroll Battleshock tests. That's not that great. The Eurobat is the best one. But yeah, that's to put that all into. Oh, and then you got to have one more Frost Lord on a Stonehorn. To do the Alfrostin, yeah. So you've got five Stonehorns, four units of Mornfang. Four Thunder Tusks, a Hunter, Sabres, and Yetis. That's to have an all Frosten. <laughs> this is stupid. Yeah. It's, uh... And the thing is, you don't just want that minimum of eight Mornfang Gav. No, you want more. You, but you, you need models. 
Well, and and you'd have to have more just to make it look not dumb because you've literally got how many did we say? Um, it's at least nine monsters. Yeah. <laughs> Bare minimum nine. Yeah. Sure. Nine, um, <laughs> nine monsters yeah. and eight Bornfang. That would look dumb. So you need at least like a bunch more than that. It's just oh, that's so silly. Mm-hmm. Plus, I'm never going to own nine of those beasts to play it. No, no. But if you want to play an Elfrostin, but a smaller one, they have two of like the war ch- war clans. So they have the Svard Elfrostin and the Alwer Elfrostin. Right. The Alwers are the ones that are fighting the, the Grot Pirates, which are amazing. Um, so for that one, you get a Frostlord on a Thunder Tusk, which we've... On a Stonehorn. No, it's a Thunder Tusk for the Alwer. Oh, you were talking about Alwer. Okay. Yeah. And then an Earlbad, which has to have three to six units of Mornfang instead of two to four. Um, so what it gets is that your general gets two command traits instead of one. Because the Frostlord is old and, or cunning and wise. Right. You get to add one to the hit rolls for your Mornfang, which is pretty cool. And you get to reroll run rolls for all of your Allware units, which is pretty cool. And the thing is, when we talk about it, you get in really quick with uh, this kind of army. So you've got one, one Thunder Tusk. Two stone horns. And three units of Mornfang. And three units of Mornfang. And if you want to add a Jorobad, a Torobad, or a Skull, go ahead. You can they'll they'll still get the the benefits from this. Yeah, or you can flesh out the Eurobad, because you can still put in uh up to two more stone horns. Uh <laughs> Oh yeah, because that's right, because the Eurobad can have Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of well, lot of love you can yeah. put in. I mean, like I said, unless you love, that, but adding the skull is nice because you get that extra hunter model with that stuff to do the little thing. You know, the the, the ambushy objective ambushy. running, and that's if you like that those. If you like to have those in your army, you know, you can just throw that in. The skull is like the easiest thing to add. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then the Svard is the Frost Lord on the Stonehorn, plus a Joral Bad. But you have to have three to nine units of Stonehorn Beast Riders instead of one to three. In addition to the Huskard on the Stonehorn. So you've got four Stonehorns. Five. Well, the one Frostlord. And, and then, then four out of the Euro. Oh, that's right, because you got a Huskard. Oh, that's right. So they have five Stonehorns and two Mornfang Packs. And what do they get for that? They get plus one wound for all Stonehorn models. Oh, that's not bad. Um, in addition to any other artifacts of power, one smart hero can have the Hellwinter Vambrance. Roll a die each time you take a mortal wound on a five or more that wound's ignored. Not that awesome. But once again, this is total. Who's taking this stuff? Yeah. These big Russian nesting doll ones are almost out of proportion for match play games. Again, this is going to be your narrative Almost focus. out of proportion for match play games? No. You can barely fit the Alwer. Okay. The, uh, yes, that. 
you can take. But the other stuff, there's no, there is no way you can fit any of the big ones into a. Yeah, that's all. This is all narrative gaming. If you really love the ogres on Cav, or if you want to mix them up with some Gore Gruntas, because you haven't got enough Cav, so you can take Braggoth's Beast Hammer. Yeah, this is one of those combination battalions where you get to take things from outside of the Beast Claw book. So what this is is a Frost Lord on a Stonehorn, which is pretty legit. Two Mornfang packs and two units of Gore Gruntas, which are the Iron Jaws cavalry on big pigs. And for all of that, this is what you get. You get plus one wound on the Frost Lord on Stonehorn, so he goes up to 14 wounds. Right. So essentially 28 because of the halving. Which is crazy. The fierce rivals rule, they're always trying to outdo each other. So you can add one to the to hit rolls for any Beast Claw Raiders unit while it's within six inches of an Iron Jaws unit from this battalion and vice versa. So that includes the Frost Lord. Yep. Yeah, the biggest problem with more, with uh, Beast Claws in combat is that they hit on fours. This now makes it threes. Plus, you get another couple of tanky combat units. The big one of all of this is the overrunning stampede, which Love is a it. once per game. At the end of any of your combat phases, you declare you're using it. And when you do that, each unit in the battalion that charged successfully can pile in and attack again immediately in your choice of order. So if you can get this entire battalion to charge in one turn, you can slam again. Yes. That's just that's fun, including the piling, right? And it's a it's a reason to get some gore gruntas. Because why not? Because why not? So dumb, <laughs> but well, so okay. much fun. All right, so should we jump into the? Uh, I mean, a lot of these stats are the same. I mean, the thunder tusk. Once you know what a thunder tusk does and a stone horn does, none of that changes. Uh, it's just who's riding it changes makes any difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's take a look. Frost Lord. Uh, no matter what he's riding, your Frost Lord has 13 wounds, a 3-up save, and a 9 bravery. Um, he's got a bunch. Okay, he's got a bunch. He's got basically three. Oh, well, let's see. He's got a Frost Spear, which uh, threes by th- four attacks, threes by threes, one ren, three damage. Pretty good. That's not pretty good. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to keep calm about it. Two-inch range. It's nice. Um, yeah. Oh, and that plus one in that... Oh, With the all-frost blade. So he can do up to 16 damage a turn. So good. Just from him. And that's not including his punches and kicks, because he will punch you and kick you as he's going by without the spear. Three attacks, threes by threes, no rend, one more damage. And he's got that whether he's on a stone horn or a thunder tusk. Yep. So that's just him. And his command ability is the same uh, between the two. So when he uses it, you can reroll all charge rolls for Beast Claw Raiders within 14 inches of him when they charge. Or 22 inches, depending on if you took that as your com- uh, as your command trait. Command trait. Yep. That's pretty good, especially when you don't want to fail any charges. No. Um, do we want to 
talk uh, Stonehorns and Thunder Tusks before we get into the rest of these guys? Yeah, sure. Um, so the Stonehorn is something that if you don't know what it is, you should probably figure out how to deal with it because this thing is not nice. Um, so it's got a couple of different things. Is the hood, the horns, which starts at six attacks and goes down to two, depending on how badly you bang it up. Um, but it does take a while to bang this thing up, as we'll talk about in a second. These hit on fours, wound on threes, rend two, damage three. So at maximum output, it can do up to 18 wounds just on itself with its horns, which is silly. Yeah. And then it's got its hooves, which are D6 attacks, hitting on threes, wounding on twos to fours, depending on how many wounds it's taken, rend one, damage D3. So that's optimal. 18 more wounds just from the stomp. Okay, yeah. cool. Um, and then he's got a couple extra little rules that are pretty significant. So if a frost, if a stonehorn is within 12 inches of an enemy model at the start of your charge phase, it has to try to charge, even if it ran. So this thing could move 12 phase. inches, and so it could yep. run up to 18 if it gets a good run. And then if and it winds up within 12 inches, it still it can and must charge. Yeah. Now, if you combine that with the Everwinter Blessing to get the 3-inch move, you get a 3-inch move, a 12-inch base move, and then an extra 3d6 in distance for the charge and run. So your threat range is essentially 18 to, I don't know, 33 inches? It's something dumb like that. Oh, and then if you successfully complete the charge, pick an enemy unit within an inch... So if you hit more than one unit, pick whichever one, D6 mortal wounds, because I, I slammed into you. Yeah, it's pretty rude. And then the rudest part of it is you get to half any damage and mortal wounds inflicted on this model rounding up. Now, do you want to explain how that works, just to clarify? Yeah, so if I hit this guy with Galmaraz, and let's say I do... 12 wounds to him from Galmaraz after saves. He then cuts that in half to 6. Because half of 12 is 6. So it's it's after saves, after everything. However many wounds you take, when it's all said and done... You cut it in half. Rounding up. Yeah. So good. Yeah, he's essentially got 26 wounds, plus the ability to heal if you took... That one artifact, and then when we get to the husk guards, it gets worse. So this thing is borderline impossible to put in the ground unless you dedicate a lot to it and you have the right answer to it. So the Thunder Tusk has some awesome abilities, but this Stonehorn, just for durability. and It, it just w- doesn't go away. And it does, a, I mean, that's a lot of damage. And then you combine it with Battle Brew, because Battle Brew does not specify... That it has to be the hero that gets it. It's the whole model. And Battle Brew does what, for anyone who doesn't know? You can pop a swig and get plus one to hit and plus one to wound. Or you can pop two swigs and get plus two to hit and plus two to wound. But you start taking a mortal wound at the start of every one of your hero phases. Because 
this guy can take the most advantage of it because he doesn't take a lot of damage in return, but he just dishes so hard. And honestly, you only need to swig once because no, it goes I'm, to twos on almost everything. Yeah. That's, so if you really wanted to kick it, then you know pop two. But you really only need to chug one, and you're doing a lot of nasty stuff. That's crazy. It is. And you don't see him as much because everyone wants the Thunder Tusk. <laughs> now, why? Well, well let's, let's see why. Because, first of all, now the Thunder Tusk only has one melee attack. The, the Stone Horn has the horns and the hooves. This just has the crushing blow. Um, four attacks, threes by anywhere from twos to fours, depending on how many wounds it's taken. Uh, one Ren, D3 damage. So it's only got the one me- melee attack. However, it's got the missile weapon, the frost wreath ice. This is the thing everybody loves. 18-inch range. It starts off doing six mortal wounds for anything within 18, any unit within 18 inches. On a two or more. Roll a dice on a two or more. Six mortal wounds. Drops down after it takes wounds to D6. Then you got to take it all the way down to... After that, it goes down to D3 for a, 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 almost everything else. And then finally it drops down. When it's only got, like, two wounds left, then it's only doing a mortal wound. Yeah, on but, a two plus. On a two plus. Oh, and your opponent has to subtract one from any hit rolls that target this model in the combat phase. So if you're up next to it, because it's putting that wreath of frost and cold around it, you're slower. Mm-hmm. So you're minus one to hit this thing. I mean, yeah. that's a great thing. Don't get me wrong. You take a couple of these, throwing out mortal wounds to anything 18 inches away, before you can even get close to me, if I've got one or two of these, I'm I'm blanking out some smaller units. Or characters is the big thing. Yeah. Um, and this is not a shooting attack. It works in the shooting phase, but it has no roll to hit. It's just you roll a two, and you do damage. Well, it so. is kind of a roll. I mean, you roll on a, roll a dice on a two or more, boom. Yeah, but you can't modify it. Oh, okay, that's right, because it's just roll a die. It's not a roll. It's not a to hit roll. Because oh, they're right, because there is none of that. That it's just roll a dice and a two or more. Yeah, and oh, it's, nice. he can use it after he moves. So he's got an eight inch move at full strength plus a sixteen inch, an eighteen inch shot. And then if you get either a good destruction move or the blessing of the Everwinter to make you move three inches, that's again like a. 29-ish threat range, plus he's a very big model, so he's very hard to hide from. Oh, it's brutal. Yeah, I didn't think about that. He is slower than the Stonehorn as well. Yeah, he's not wanting to get into combat nearly as much as the Stonehorn, but, you know, all things considered. commanding the storm. So that, okay, so when we talk about Stonehorns and Thunder Tusks, that's anyone who's riding, that's one of their two choices for this stuff. Mm -hmm. So the Frost Lord, he's, he's pretty cool. He's got some good stuff. The the spear, the punches and kicks. We all know that, that that's good. Um, you can drop down to the Husguard. Uh, and now the Husguard have the chain trap. Do they do fire the chain trap and the harpoon launcher? It's an ore. It's an ore. Okay. Oh, they can, Yeah, he has okay. three different missile weapons he can pick from. Either a chain trap, a harpoon launcher, or a blood vulture. Where the heck is... Oh, the Blood Vulture is the little... Spe- okay, so... Okay. 
armed with either a chain trap or a harpoon launcher. Someone said ride to war with a blood vulture. Oh, okay. I didn't get to read all. I wasn't reading all this carefully. Yeah, so they have three different options for their mail, for their missile weapon. The chain trap is a 12-inch shot, 4 by 3 no rend, 3 damage. Or the harpoon is a 20-inch shot, 4 by 3 no rend, D3 damage. Or my personal favorite is the blood vulture because it's just funny to think he sends out as a little pretty birdie. Um, so he gets to pick, and this is for either version, and whenever we talk about a, vul- a blood vulture, because there's a lot of things that can take them, this is what they do. So you get to pick a unit within 30 inches of the thing with the blood vulture. And then your opponent gets to pick one of their units within 30 inches of the unit with the vulture. And then you roll a dice, and on a 1 to 3, the unit that your opponent picked suffers a mortal wound. But on a 4 plus, the unit you pick suffers a mortal wound. So somebody's taking a mortal wound. It's just whether or not your opponent gets to pick where it goes or you get to pick where it goes. Yeah, that's that's so gimmicky. But it's got a 30-inch range, which is nice. Because once this thing moves the 12 inches, if it's a stone horn. Yeah. That's And if it ran, I mean, you're literally talking, that's the whole board. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think most people are going to go with either the chain trap or the harpoon launcher. You either take the short range and three damage or the long range and the chancier D3 damage. Or you take a blood vulture. Or you take a blood vulture. I like the bird. I know you do. Uh, let's see what else do we got. Um, uh, let's see the... Did we talk about the... Okay, he's got his punches and kicks. Uh, not as good as the... As the... Frost, uh, Lord. Frost Lord's punches and kicks. It's basically all the same, except it's 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 a four-up to wound instead of a three-up. Yeah. So he doesn't wound as, as easily as the, as the Frost Lord. Otherwise, it's kind of the same. Yeah, and for these guys, they all have a four-up save, eight bravery, and 12 wounds. So they're just a step down. From the Frost Lord in every department. Yeah, the 3, 9, and 13. They're literally a little bit worse everywhere. Um, now, there is, they do have this one, the line breaker rule, if they're on a stone horn. This one's legit. <laughs> uh, after he attacks in the combat phase, pick a Morn Fang pack within 12 inches. They can immediately pile in and attack if it's within 3 inches of the enemy and has not already attacked this phase. So basically, once this guy, you, you get to double down on your on your units that attacked. Mm-hmm. That's that's awesome, especially for an army where you need to get the most out of every activation. This lets you mitigate that amount of damage you're going to be taking back by getting to strike first. That is cool. Now, if you're yeah. on the, the Thunder Tusk, the Huskard special ability is the Blizzard Speaker. Um, In your hero phase, they can attempt to harness the winter magic. Select a Beast Claw Raider unit within 18 inches and roll a dice. Add one for every other friendly Thunder Tusk within 18 inches. On a four or more, select one of the abilities from below and apply it. So you got to roll it, a four or more, possibly a better roll. Uh, Basically, you can either give them uh, one model in the unit heals D3 wounds... Or re-roll wound rolls of one for the unit until the start of the next hero phase. Yeah. That's not bad either. No, it's actually ridiculous. Yeah. Um, 
So what you'll see in the Moo clan, which is affectionately what it's called, where you have a Frostlord on a Stonehorn, three Huskguards on Thunder Tusks, and then Moon Clan Grotz. Each one of the Huskguard on Thunder Tusks counts as a Thunder Tusk, and each one of them gets to do this Blizzard Speaker rule. So if you have a Stonehorn that is significantly banged up, you get to do three shots at a 2+, plus to do heal D3 wounds each time. So generally, he's going to heal three D3 wounds on the Frost, which then essentially doubles because of how much damage you have to do to him to knock him back down. So he's got 12 wounds, and you can literally... No, no, the Frost Lord. He's got 13. Oh, so he's got 13 wounds, and you can put back, on the average, six every turn. Yeah. If you roll two pluses. <sighs> and then that's on top of the three shots with the Frost Balls to do 18 mortal wounds on two pluses. See, there's a reason why people take three Thunder Tusks and a Stonehorn. Yeah. It is brutal. It's obnoxious is what it is. It is, yeah, that, is, that too. I'm, I'm really hoping that in GHB2 we'll see these things in particular jump up on points just because it is a little absurd. All but right. What do now, I know? If you take the Stonehorns with no characters, then basically um, it kind of works pretty much the same as the Huskard on Stonehorn. Mm-hmm. Uh, except uh, they don't get any of the special abilities. They don't get the line breaker. They don't get the blizzard speaker. And the only difference is that their punches and kicks go from three to six because there's two of them on there. But because they're both clamoring for position, it's four to hit and four to wound. So double the attacks, but they don't hit as well as the Hoose guards. Yep. So <laughs> Go ahead. I'm just saying, if you take them without the special characters, you're losing all the really cool bonuses. How much cheaper are they without the characters? Um, anywhere between 180 points, I think. The cheaper? Well, that is kind of a lot of savings. Uh, they yeah, are one less than the bravery the too. Special rule. Yeah, they're not heroes, and they and they're minus one on the bravery. So. Yeah. Um, the biggest advantage with uh, Beast Riders is that you can have guys with two guns. On it, because one of them carries a harpoon launcher, while the other has a chain trap or the blood vulture. So they're a little more shooty than the previous ones we've talked about. Oh, that's so, so you get to fire both of those, both weapons then. Well, okay. Or the blood yeah. vulture. I don't know. Yeah, it's, either, it's a harpoon launcher and a chain trap or the vulture. Gotcha. So then, why don't we take the last cav unit first? Uh, Mornfang. Sure. Two at a time, minimum. Or they they come mm-hmm. in by twos. Uh six wounds. They move nine, four up, save, six bravery. Um every guy has a pistol, one shot at twelve inches, fours by threes, one ren D three damage. So they gotta no, shoot. It's just the champ. Oh, just the champ has the pistol, sorry. Um you couldn't put a horn blower in there as well. Um so you got a Skalg which has got the pistol. And then you've got the horn blower, uh, and you always want to have. Oh, you almost you almost want to have units of four, don't you? Yeah, you ha- with this unit in particular because you can't have 
all of your command group upgrades in a minimum size, you have to be careful of which ones you're taking. You're almost always going to want to take the Hornblower because he gives you, you roll three dice and pick the highest two when determining a charge distance, but then you either get to pick between a pistol or the banner. Um, and what the banner does is you get to re-roll rolls of six when taking a battle shock test. So, like we talked about earlier, if you lose a model, you have to take a test, and on a six you run. This gives you that re-roll to stick around. Yep. In addition, when a, you roll a dice every time an enemy model flees within six inches of a rating banner, and on a six, another model immediately flees from that unit. And this is like as a result of battle shock tests. So if you crunch into somebody and they blow their battle shock by, let's say, eight, you roll eight dice, and on every six, another one runs away. That's See, I'd almost want to take more fang packs and units of four to get all the benefits. I mean, I suppose you could sc- skip the Skalg and skip the one shooting attack. Yeah. But I'd almost but always I, want a home blower and a banner bearer, wouldn't I? Yeah, you would. That's just good. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's see what, what we've got here. So they can either have culling clubs and or they have the culling clubs of prey hackers, which is basically either the club or the sword. And a spike gauntlet called the Iron Fist in the other, which they use to bat aside enemies' blows. Other Mornfang packs prefer to wield mighty two-handed Gargant hackers to chop monsters down to size. So I don't think I've seen that in the models, but I don't know. So let's see. Basically, you either pick... You get, you get a choice of the two weapons, right? Yeah, it's just whether or not you get a Iron Fist with the Culling Club... Or you get rend and three damage with a gargant hacker. Okay, so basically, I can do three attacks, fours by threes, no rend, two damage. But if I take that, then I've got my iron fist, which gives me uh, whenever I do a save roll of six, um, the attackers get to take a mortal wound. Mm-hmm. Not bad. Nope. Um, if I take the Gargant Hacker, it's uh, two attacks, fours by threes, one rend, three damage. So I kind of like the Iron Fist thing. Yeah, it really depends on what you want to do. They, I think they have different jobs. The Gargant Hacker, you're going to go into a unit with some armor because this is one of the only rend attacks you get. And it does a lot of damage when it hits. If you're going to go into a unit that doesn't hit you very hard with a lot of rend and can't modify your save... You can then maximize how much damage you do with an iron fist. I see. Yeah. Um, let's see. And oh, and the Mornfang gets four attacks, fours by threes, one rend, one damage. Um, oh, and then when you do complete a charge with Mornfang, uh, roll a dice. Select a, a model with a model within an inch on a four or more. That model's unit suffers a mortal wound. So you can do a mortal yeah. wound on a four up just on the on the charge. So. And this is for each pack model, not for the unit. Oh, so I read that wrong. Unit, yeah, if you have a unit of four Mornfang that charged in, you roll four dice, and on a four plus, you do a mortal wound for each one. So they, oh, so basically they all... Oh, okay, that's nice. So they all hit and do a little damage when they charge, possibly. Mm-hmm. Cool. So that's that's good. And then now we've only got three units that do anything when there are, that aren't mounted. <laughs> yeah. So tell us about the Hunters. This guy I like. Um, so he's move six, 
five save, seven bravery, and seven wounds. So he's got a throwing spear, a club, and some also get a crossbow. So you can take a crossbow, a spear, and a club all in the same model. Everything's fine. The crossbow is a 12-inch shot, 4 by 3 no rend, D3 damage. With the throwing spear, it's a 9-inch throw, 4 by 3 rend 1, D3 damage. So a lot of decent damage output at range. The club comes in at 4 attacks, 4 by 3 no rend, damage 2. So he can put out some hurt. He's got three special rules, the first of which is that instead of setting him up normally, you can set him up in ambush, and during your hero phases, you can set him up on the battlefield more than nine inches away from the enemy model, and that counts as his movement phase. Now, it doesn't have to say board edge. He can just pop up in the middle of the table and say, hi, guys, how are you? Yep. Um, so that's cool. Now, this is probably one of the coolest rules that they've come out with it. It's very flavorful with this. So he can throw his great throwing spear even if he made a run. But if he made a run move, the damage gets in the damage inflicted jumps from D3 to D6 and the range doubles from 9 to 18. It was a running start on his throw. Yeah. And he runs as fast as a Mornfang, so why not? Yeah. That's great. And then he throws a spear on top of it. So it actually like plays to the character of the model. And then it actually is, you know, it's like when you watch javelin throwers. Yeah. They get a running start and then they chuck it. It's the same freaking principle. That's kind of awesome. Yeah. And then the other one that he's got is Icy Breath, which is like how we had talked earlier about how he distills a draft from the Frost Saver's blood. So instead of attacking with his missile weapons, he can pull the stopper on the icy breath and pick a visible unit within six inches of him and roll a dice. And on a four plus, the unit suffers D3 mortal wounds as its warriors are frozen solid. I I just like him. Yeah. Seven wounds, seven brave. I mean, he's... His save's not that great, but you don't want to get this guy into close combat. You want this guy behind the unit, running around, pitching D six mortal or D six wound spears at some guy over there, or else breathing from right behind the unit on some other guy within six inches, and doing mortal wounds that way. Yeah, I mean he's no slouch in combat. He can still get some work done, but he's got some benefits for not being in combat. Oh, and plus, with a five-up save, I want to try to keep him out of combat if I can. I don't have enough units in this army to be throwing away models. Yeah, he definitely wants the soft, squishy stuff at the back of the enemy army. It's like that whole ambush thing that they're supposed to do in the fluff. Right. And so, okay, so then we've got the Frost Savers. Um, units of two or more. They move nine. They only got a six-up save, five bravery, two wounds. They get three attacks, fours by threes, one rend, one damage. Uh, the one great thing about them, if they're within 16 inches of an Icebrow Hunter at the start of the charge phase, add three to any charge rolls made. In addition, while they're within 16 inches of the Hunter, they have bravery seven instead of five. So they get plus three to their charge if they're within 16 of the Hunter, and their bravery is seven. Mm-hmm. 
So they're not they're not great, but you get a couple of them around him. Man, yeah, you get a decent sized pack that can put a hurt on something. Yeah, and you can kind of bubble wrap him too if you don't want him to get into an attack. If you just want him throwing his stuff and doing stuff, you can move him. You can run him up. Heck, you could do a run with him. That'll still keep him within sixteen inches of them, and then boom, they can keep their bravery and possibly charge something next to him mm-hmm. with the plus three. That's just I like it. Yeah, uh, it's good. All right, so tell us about the Yetis and let's get these get this this whole thing done here. So the Bumbles move nine. <laughs> uh, they have a six up save, bravery six, four wounds a pop. So they're pretty tanky. As far as wounds go, they're not very good in the armor save department. So they have their clubs and claws, which are three attacks, four by three, rend one, two damage, which is cool. Uh, Come in units of three or more. And their abilities, your opponent must subtract one from any hit rolls that target a yeti in the combat phase. So they're like the Thunder Tusk. They've got that aura of the frost around them. Absolutely. Um, Bounding leap. So they can be chosen to pile in and attack in the combat phase if they are within six inches of the enemy, and they can move up to six inches when they pile in instead of three. So even if you miss a charge with them, they can still pile in six inches. (laughs) Or you can just not charge with them and then pile them in after the fact, as long as they're within six inches. That's nice. That's really nice. It is. They're a good second wave hitter. And then their other rule is invigorated by the blizzard, which you can run and charge with yetis in the same turn if they are within 16 inches of a friendly thunder tusk when they charge. So So they get invigorated by the cold, just like the lore says they do. And they're fast. And they do. They come out of nowhere. And then, zoom, then they are. There they are, right up in your face, hitting you. Yeah. They might die easily, but you know they're. I, I just I like. <laughs> it's just it doesn't really work in a, a lot of in scoring objectives and doing that unless you're really careful. But you just I mean you can't keep things from dying in this game. No, no, you can't. But gosh, so that's their I love biggest. This. The army plays a lot better than I think they're. Uh, lore sets them up to be like I didn't have a lot to sink my teeth into with the lore but how they play and how their like their rules come out of the background for them I think really shines in this book so I mean competitively they're a harder army to play again because they don't have a lot of models and you can't really afford to make a lot of goofs even with tanky characters like your Frostloads or your Huskards. So there's a lot to it. I think it would be a much more rewarding army to play and play well than some of the other auto kind of armies. And I'm hoping that the Handbook 2 will make the things that are a little more out of bounds back within. And this can actually be like a playable army again. Because we don't really see it, and that's a shame. Right, and I I would love to see this as a straight-up uh, Beast Claw. Uh, yeah. As to be able to play. I mean, you know, there's a lot to be said for picking and choosing between your destruction army and being able to add in some stuff. But, I mean, so often you just see a bunch of grots so that you can hold objectives. You know, being able to take a few of these things and really run it and just, and as opposed to just, you know, a Stonehorn and three Thunder Tusks, but taking. <coughs> 
I just I don't know. It, it, it's it's a it's a it's a cool concept. It's it's big. It's heavy. It's brutal. It hits you and you die. Mm-hmm. And it be, you better die pretty quick because uh, and it's pretty tough because it's got it's got to be tough. It's got to last because you you're not going to have a lot of models. So you have to. This is I think this is a good army for someone who wants a challenge on being very. T- you got to be very tactical. I think with them. Mm-hmm. You have to pick your combats wisely. You have to do things in the proper order. You know, you can't... If you're going straight Beast Claw Raiders and taking it as a Beast Claw Raiders army, you can't make mistakes. Um, yeah. Yes, your Stonehorn can weather a lot of attacks, but there's a lot of things in the game that can that can pump out some serious damage, too, if you can get up to it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and you don't have a lot of models to screen. Like, these guys are built for three places of power, but they don't have enough stuff to get in the way of your opponent from getting to your characters. That is true. And so those characters, I mean, they're tough. Let's face it. Those, with the exception of the one hero who is the, the hunter, it's 12, 12, 12 wounds minimum. And if you, put them on, if you choose to put them on stone horns... It's actually 24 wounds minimum to take yeah. him down. So there's a lot. And, you know, Stonehorns can heal. Well, it's the Thunder Tusks that do the healing, right? Yeah, so. The Huskards do the healing. Okay. But it's the ones on the Thunder Tusk. Yeah, the Huskard on Thunder Tusk can heal stuff. Okay. So, so that's why you see so many of them. Right, right. They just do so many cool things. It's, I can see why you want more of them. Even though it mm-hmm. just it just feels like they should be rarer. Yes, I would concur. Uh, and I get how awesome they are, but it just gosh, it feels like they should be rare. And because the Stonehorn is no slouch, it's just that Thunder Tusk is so cool. Yeah, I just I don't know. I I, I like this a lot. Like I know Kira's got a bunch of this stuff, and I definitely she's you know once she gets to the painting part and get this stuff built. Uh, I'm going to show her this and show her how to how to you know do a little bit of this because I think she'd have fun with it. Plus, fewer models is less things she's got to really work with. You mm-hmm. know, um, it's just I don't know. It's 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 fun and like you said, what it lacked in the lore, it made up for in the in the interesting uh, background on the characters themselves and the each the, the different units. Yeah. So and like I said, and the rules do play to that really well. So I don't know. I think that's it. I think yeah, that's, I think it's time to get out of here. Yep. So that's oh look at that. We did an entire book review, and well, if you take out the time we did in the beginning of the show, it's about two and a half hours for a whole book. That's good for us. That is. So, all right, folks. Um, I'm not even saying what we're doing next episode because I can't seem to get curry on the line to to commit to a time so i'm not certain what we're doing um so who knows but i know pretty soon we're going to be talking general's handbook 2017 like every other podcast on the planet so to be fair yes yeah everyone's gonna be talking about this it's i mean why wouldn't you be talking about it but listen to us talk about it because and tell your friends to listen to us because we like to see those numbers going up and they have been because alex is a gem who 
passes wind sometimes when I, when you tell him how good he is. He gets so excited when you tell him how good he does, he passes wind. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I just took a drink, you <laughs> jerk. <laughs> Uh, I have not succeeded until milk comes out your nose. Uh, okay, folks, listen up. Um, hey, you know we wouldn't mind some iTunes reviews just because they're kind of cool to, to get. Uh, we always like a voicemail. Um, please check out the Patreon page at patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash garage hammer. And please consider being one of the almost 1%, not quite 1%. Um, and... Uh, I'm still I'm, I'm working real hard on doing these other things. It's it's you know I I know I know I said we'd go live a long time ago. Dude, this is a lot harder than I thought it would be. Um just trying to get it all the mechanics of it all to work. We're still working on it. It's gonna happen. Um but and we're working on it, but I'm I'm trying to do more. Um it's just it's unbelievably difficult to learn new skills when you're 45 years old and not too bright technically. And I asked my son to help me, and he just laughs at me and tells me, no, Dad, forget it. I don't even know how to do this. I don't want to break a computer. He, he just, just the other day, he got me onto Reddit, and I don't know why I'm on that, but it, I was, you know, whatever. Um, so, folks, listen. Uh, check out the Patreon page. Maybe leave an iTunes review. Um, we've got about four or five people who said they might want T-shirts, so we're going to look into that. Uh, we're also looking at maybe doing a new color of dice. Ooh. Maybe a goblin green. <laughs> to go with the and they'll be the same style with that that cool mar- marbled look but the next set of garage hammer dice if anyone's interested in in a new color of garage hammer dice let me know uh, if we get enough people interested I'll order up another set of uh, of dice from uh, from the people who make our dice and uh, get that going but until next time folks Alex thank you by the way again for a wonderful show and uh, that insight onto all the all the uh, tabletop stuff that uh, I don't always catch right away. It's all good, brother. All good. <laughs> Happy to do. Yeah, buddy. All right, folks. Until next time. Only the faithful will be triumphant. Only the faithful will stand when all others fall. And only the faithful know no despair except in failure. You've been listening to Garage Hand. If you've enjoyed the show... Maybe consider leaving us a positive review on iTunes or check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash garagehammer. If you'd like to reach us, you can contact us via our email address, garagehammer at live.com. You can also find us on Twitter. David is at garagehammer and Alex, that's me, is at somekindageek30. Original music by Claire Seabrook. You can find more of her work at soundcloud.com slash Music. Finally, if you want to join the Garage Hammer community, as well as the AOS community worldwide, you can comment on our episodes in the show thread at the Grand Alliance Forums, that's tga.community, or check out the Garage Hammer Facebook page. And as always, thanks for listening.